This podcast was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the television and movies being covered here would not exist. We stand with the writers and actors and support their call for equitable and fair treatment for everyone in the industry. You can support those on strike by making a donation at entertainmentcommunityfund.org, which will go to a writer, actor, or other entertainment worker in need. You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. What's up, Star Wars fans? And welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues. For another episode talking about a new episode of Ahsoka. This week we're talking about episode six, Far, Far Away. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and uh, joined again this week by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? Hey, what's up, Kyle? Doing good. So glad to be back to talk this episode of Ahsoka. It was rough not being on the last one, but you and Paul had a great discussion. It was kind of fun being a listener for a change, but um, yeah, not to be there with you guys to talk about what was such a landmark episode of not only the series, but just Star Wars in general was a bummer, but glad to be back for this one because it was followed up by another fantastic episode where I just can't wait to dive into everything that went down in far, far away. Yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, we certainly missed having you last week. You know, great to have you back for this one. Paul, unfortunately, now is not here for this one just because of conflicting schedules and stuff. Every other week, he's got his live stream show that he does with Star Wars Newsnet. So, um, you know, usually when we do our episodes every two weeks, we try to, you know, switch off with that so we can all be on. But obviously for Ahsoka, we're recording every week. So that's why Paul hasn't been on for a few of these. Um but, you know, I mean, in some ways it's worked out that at least we get to have two of us on every week. And there's been some where, you know, if we had all three of us, we would have been here all night. We certainly would have had some three or four hour episodes. But um, before we get to uh, jumping in and talking about all the awesome stuff uh, that went down in this week's episode, I got to give you at least a couple minutes, Tim, if you want to share any thoughts on last week's episode, Shadow Warrior, because that was just incredible. Like you said, Paul and I had a blast talking about that. But um, yeah, I'm sure you and I could do a whole nother episode just about that one if we wanted to. <laughs> talking about could. Anakin and the flashbacks <laughs> and the Purgle and the world between worlds and all the, the incredible stuff that we got to see. Yeah, wow, man. <laughs> I mean, obviously, with episode four, we were just excited and speculating of what how big that episode was going to be but in typical Dave Filoni fashion he surpassed expectations and did things unexpectedly that were just so 
beautifully done. I mean, uh, I shouldn't be surprised at that anymore because stuff we were talking about, obviously we knew she was going to be in the world between worlds. Anakin's there. And then we were talking about, or at least I was speculating how, you know, Anakin, he is going to be kind of talking with Ahsoka, looking back at certain things, maybe going to those portals. And that's where we get flashbacks of certain things of maybe during the Clone Wars and maybe look ahead. But no, Dave Filoni does one better. He takes us directly into those moments that happened to Ahsoka's past. And it was just mind-blowing. And it's so good because, I mean, this is why he, he, he's such a genius. This everyone involved with is so creative because it would have been so easy because I was speculating on it. It would kind of just be what we saw in the Rebels episode where Ahsoka and Ezra were looking through those portals and seeing things from the past. But no, it's so great that Dave doesn't want to do the same thing again, just in live action. He wants to do something different and just expand on what can be done in the world between worlds. I just thought that was just so brilliant where those characters, like in this case, Ahsoka, who's in the world between worlds, experiences it in a totally different way by reliving her past. And it was just, mm-hmm. man, what a mind-blowing moment where, and I mean, just first seeing a lightsaber duel between Anakin and Ahsoka in the world between worlds that, that alone was just a mind-blowing moment to kick off that episode and their meeting with re- the reunion with each other again it was just that alone was just fantastic with great dialogue i know you guys mentioned this where just that line where ahsoka says i don't i don't want to fight you and anakin just says i've like heard that before and just you know that he's referencing luke is mm-hmm. dual with luke it was just like oh man this is just amazing already but then we knew it was going to be more than just a lightsaber duel. And when he kind of slashed that that bridge and made Ahsoka fall, that and just as we were seeing her fall, I was like, okay, this is it. <laughs> we're going to be getting some big stuff here. But as soon as she lands and then she starts moving, I just like noticing, oh, mm, she, she looks different. Oh, I, I think this is young Ahsoka. It's like, oh man, are we, this is it. This is a flashback. And then when you see clone troopers running towards the screen, it's like, oh man, this is, we're getting it. We're getting a Clone Wars flashback moment, but it's even better because it's not just a flashback. It's Ahsoka and Anakin reliving this moment from their past. And I just think that was so brilliant and just a great new creative way to show what can be done in the world between worlds. And this boy, Hayden Christensen back as Anakin was just phenomenal on every level. The way his performance, the way he channeled the different emotions that and just the personality aspects that Anakin was, especially during the Clone Wars moments and that was around reliving the Battle of Ryloth, where it was just like he was just channeling that more enthusiastic, fun Anakin that we know and love so much from the Clone Wars. Just so great just with his dialogue. It's like what Ahsoka says, you know, we're in the Clone Wars. Like, yeah, no kidding. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I like, better keep up. It was just like pitch perfect. It was like, man, like, I just couldn't believe what we were getting. And just... What just makes it so great is, I mean, sometimes I still have to pinch myself. I mean, Kyle, we got a new story of Anakin Skywalker post Return of the Jedi. I mean, just how crazy is that? And it's so great that it's him finishing his training with Ahsoka. I just think that is just, there's just something like really beautiful about that, where he's coming back to teach Ahsoka one more lesson, like probably one of the most important lessons in her life where she has to choose to either live or die. And it was just so beautifully done. And just seeing Anakin talk to her from the perspective of after everything he's been through 
as both Anakin and Darth Vader. And I mean, there's so many great moments and great lines, but the one that just kind of sticks out to me that I just think about a lot is where they're talking about legacy. And then Ahsoka is saying how her legacy is going to be that of war and death. And, and Anakin goes, is that what's bothering you? And he says the line that sticks out where he goes, you're more than that because I'm more than that. Just kind of looking back at his time as Vader and just knowing that he overcame that, um, got away from the dark side and then just realizing how that's not the only thing that's going to define him as a person for um, what he did in the past. And then obviously coming back to the light side and what he can do again now in the present as he's teaching Ahsoka. I just love that so much. And then getting that perspective of Anakin at this period. And it was just incredible to see and not to mention just the great lightsaber fights that ensued after that. I mean, the choreography on this was just incredible. Hayden has not missed a beat. I mean, obviously we got a glimpse of that in the flashback sequence in Obi-Wan where him and Ewan were having their training sequence, but this one even more so. I mean, it just like it was episode three Anakin all over again. Mm-hmm. It was just a beautiful sight to see. And just like, seeing him, it was like seeing how he would have been as Darth Vader if Obi-Wan didn't chop him up and he didn't get burnt on Mustafar. Just seeing him with yeah. his eyes fighting Ahsoka with a red lightsaber. It's like, man, it was just really just such a trip to see. Just something that just, you know, just got your head spinning <laughs> as far as like, wow, I can't believe I'm seeing this. But then it ends with kind of the same way as with, you know, his battle with Luke where Ahsoka, he knocks, obviously he knocks her lightsabers out, but then when she gets a hold of his and she has the chance to deliver the killing bloats Anakin and she just tosses it away and says she chooses to live. And then just that moment where he just goes from a Sith, like that Sith look to light side Anakin. And it just, and that smile he has was just great. Where he, and then his final words, there's hope for you yet. And it just goes away into the force again. It was like incredible. So yeah, I mean, there's so much more we could probably dive into again, but I, I, again, you guys did a great job in the last episode talking about all the, the big stuff, what it means for the characters and just um, even potential for future things down the line. It was just a lot of great stuff for us Star Wars fans to kind of speculate on and just take in, digest over the course of a week after when that first episode aired and just, you know, just taking it all in and watching it again and again. I mean, I've probably lost count how many times I rewatched that sequence in that episode and just kind of just being in awe of it every time I watch it. So yeah, we were expecting big things from that episode. And I think uh, Dave Filoni and company uh, surpassed the expectations of what I was expecting because I was kind of, I would have been really happy and satisfied if we just got something similar, like we got in rebels um, them reminiscing or remembering the past, looking at the port, those portals, but no, there was an important lesson to be taught and he just expanded the world between worlds and what can be done there in just a great new way. So yeah, I absolutely loved it. I said it before the episode aired or after episode four, that was going to be a game changer. And I think it was just when it comes to Star Wars storytelling and what it means for the saga. So yeah, I cannot be more happier <laughs> than what we got with that episode and just having Hayden back as Anakin. It's just been such a treat over this past year between this and Obi-Wan. So yeah, just like a completely satisfying experience all the way around. I'm still blown away as I'm talking about it right now and just remembering it and just like, I can't believe we got this. Like, man, what a, a Star Wars fans. We're just really blessed right now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, yeah, we're really blessed because this show keeps going and giving us awesome episodes like we got this week. But even exactly. like I, I rewatched this episode tonight before we jumped on to record. And part of me was like, oh, man, but I want to go back and watch the Anakin episode again. Or I'm thinking ahead to when the show is over and I'm going to take a Saturday and just sit down and binge the entire series start to I end. I can't wait for that. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I can't wait to watch it all, as, you know, as one story. But I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to get to that Anakin episode again. Um, you know, like, obviously totally agree with everything you're saying. I absolutely loved it. Hayden Christensen was fantastic. I think that maybe was, you know, maybe his best performance is Anakin. Um, like you said, kind of incorporating some of those elements of, of Matt Lander's performance from the Clone Wars and just getting to see his and Ahsoka's relationship in a new light and seeing him play through all of those different aspects of the character yes. in, you know, a, a 20 minute time span at that, that first half of the episode going from like the more young, energetic uh, Clone Wars Anakin at the beginning of the Clone Wars to the more kind of serious, solemn Anakin towards the end to then dark side Anakin to then him turning back to the light again. Um, it was just, I mean, it was a, a great performance, a great story. And then on top of it, you get stuff like, you know, Jason using the force and hearing their lightsaber duel yeah. uh, through the force as he's sitting and listening to the waves. And then all the stuff with Ahsoka and the pergil at the end, like it just so many incredible Star Wars moments. And um, just, yeah, such a such a fantastic story and um, just fantastic stuff in the journey of, you know, the character of Ahsoka. That's going to be like a, a pivotal moment when we look back when it's all said and done. Oh yeah. And one big thing I forgot to mention too, I can't let this go. Live action Captain Rex for the first time with yep, Tamora Morrison voicing him. Which I wish we got a little bit more dialogue and I imagine Timmy Morrison wasn't available to shoot some scenes. Otherwise we probably would have gotten a few shots with clone troopers without their helmets on, but still seeing, especially that phase two armor look incredible in live action. It was that was another sight to behold. And just seeing the battle of the season Mandalore in that perspective too was just awesome. God so yeah. great stuff about that. Yeah, I wonder if he either wasn't available or if it was just because I mean that would have cost money right from like a budget perspective to not only like hire him to be there on set, but then like you would have had to do some digital stuff. Obviously, mm -hmm. if you're going to show multiple clone troopers, you got to like replicate his face. But even if you were going to have him just play Rex or something like you also would have had to de-age him. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe they opted to just, you know, with all the other stuff they already had going on in that episode. I'm sure a huge chunk of the budget went to the Purgle. Um, and, you know, of course, they did some de-aging on Hayden Christensen, too, which like. That's another thing where, like, that looked really good. It looked fantastic. Like, I, I don't mean, know if that was digital or if it was makeup, but, like, it it seemed very subtle. Like, he definitely looked younger than he did in Obi-Wan. Like, I feel like they did yeah. more de-aging here than they did there. But also, I mean, part of me wonders if, like, because it was the episode three Anakin with the longer hair and everything, and because... But, like, because we know that this is Anakin from the current time, so he is older, even though, like, as a Force ghost or whatever, he's appearing as his younger self. Um, but also seeing him, too, like, with Ahsoka and it being sort of this mentor-student relationship where it's like she sees him as older. Like, you know, he's the older one in that relationship. So even if he looked a little bit older, I feel like it would be more passable. Um 
where it would it would make sense that he would look older in comparison to Ahsoka as opposed to like Obi-Wan where he's supposed to be like a 19-year-old Padawan training with his master. And he clearly looks like a full-grown adult man, but you just kind of let it slide because you're like, oh, it's still fun to have Anakin and Obi-Wan back. Um, but yeah, he looked really good. Like whatever they did, um, you know, just for the the makeup or the um, the digital de-aging or whatever. Like I I'm, I'm can't wait to find out in the Disney gallery and see exactly what oh, they man, did for that. Wait. But it all worked so well. Yeah, it was great. And part of me thinks it's like it's, part of how the story plays out as well because i think it was noticeably like less apparent and looked even better just even in that last moment in at the end of fallen jedi where like i'm not going to say it was like distracting or looked bad but it was noticeable like right when you saw that final shot where it's like yeah yeah they're using the de-aging but in this next episode in shadow war you can't even notice it at all exactly because it looks like he just stepped right out of episode three in that first moment but then at the very end where him and ahsoka are fighting and he has the Sith eyes. It's like, I didn't it almost seem like they didn't use the de-aging effect there where that's how Anakin would be at this point hmm. if, if he was still alive and kind of just like him and Ahsoka were really together at that moment. That's how it would be in that moment in time. So that's, that's kind of how I look at it and took it to where at that very end, that's how Anakin would be if he was still alive. Cause it, it didn't look like there was any de-aging effect. And I did, it did for me anyway, look like he looked a little bit older than he did at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. But yeah, like I said, I mean, I I'm sure that was an intentional choice, but it's like, even if they didn't really DH him or he looked older, like it worked for the story because again, you could say that's how he looked in, you know, or would have looked in this present time or just that's sort of how Ahsoka perceives, perceives mm-hmm. him because he's always been like the older brother to her. So it would make sense yeah. that he would look older in comparison to her as opposed to like when he's with Obi-Wan. So um, yeah, good stuff, man. I, again, we could sit here all night and go right. on and on about that episode. And I'm sure, you know, once the show is over, I'm sure at some point we'll do, you know, a big Ahsoka recap episode or something, but like, this is one I could see us like revisiting, you know, months or years down the line and being like, you know, there's nothing else going on right now. Let's go back and do another, you know, kind of deep dive and <laughs> yeah. see what kind of stuff we missed. Cause I keep seeing, just different like you know people pointing out different thematic things or even um ways that it mirrors like scenes from other star wars shows and episodes and stuff that i didn't even catch you know the first several times watching it um like somebody pointed out when us when uh anakin and ahsoka are like having their the first part of their duel on the bridge and she does like a spinning kick to his Mm -hmm. face and they matched it up with a gift from the Clone Wars. And she does like the exact same move against Maul in their fight. Really? Like it's, hmm. yeah. Like I don't, I'll, I'll try to find it and, and send it to you, but it's like, That's you cool. watch them side by side and knowing that they were both directed by Dave Filoni. Um, like I know he wasn't credited as like the episode director on those episodes for Siege of Mandalore, but like he was the supervising director. But we also know he was there directing the mocap um, with the actors for that fight scene. So I'm like, that couldn't have been just a coincidence, you know, when they were picking out the moves for this fight and stuff. So, um, yeah, we may be finding Easter eggs and references and just, you know, layers and thematic stuff to dive into on that episode for years to come. Um, yeah. And you mentioned about being excited and can't wait for the Disney gallery for the series already. I mean, we got a sneak peek of that um, earlier this week. I think it was ET online had some behind the scenes footage of mm-hmm. Hayden and Rosario Dawson go doing their duel. And then there was a moment where Dave was talking to Hayden 
as a director and just they were specifically going over the bit of dialogue where he goes i've heard that before and just hearing them talking about how hayden's really trying to come across that yeah he's this he's re recollecting or he's remembering that moment I mean, they didn't specifically say it, but you know that's kind of what they're going towards or talking about that moment in Return of the Jedi, where I just know if we get to Disney Gallery and there's more stuff about that, it's going to be incredible to just hear the performers, Dave, just talk about everything that went into making that episode. And I'm kind of hoping, too, where it's like they do something how they did with the um, season two finale of The Mandalorian, where they just had a whole Disney Gallery special dedicated to that one episode. Mm -hmm. I think this one deserves the same treatment because it's like you can spend I... so much time on that. I totally agree with you on that one. Although I also would love if they went back to the format they did in Mando season one, where I know with, with man, it's not like they did a Disney gallery for each episode, but they had like eight different episodes that all just talked about different aspects of the show, like the music and the visuals and the yeah. cast and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I would love to even see something like that or just like, a you know, a 15, 20, 30 minute Disney gallery episode for each episode of the show. Um, but yeah, if not, like, first of all, I want the Disney Gallery special for this show to be really long. Like, give me two, like, at least two hours of behind the scenes content. Um, yes, please. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, if they were to do, if if any episode deserves its own special, you know, kind of standalone special episode, it would it would be that one for sure. So, um, yeah, hopefully we get plenty of that stuff after the show's over um yeah definitely looking forward to uh getting to hear about you know how they made it and everything and like i hope the strike ends soon too so these actors can talk about it and do interviews and just share in their excitement i know a couple of them it's been funny to see like some of them have been chomping at the bit and having a real hard time like not saying anything um like ariana greenblatt who played the young ahsoka and then even uh iman asfandi who plays ezra um, after this most recent episode, like they've been on Twitter, like posting vague stuff where they're talking about how excited they are, but they're not like naming the show by name or they're like liking and replying to other people's tweets about it and stuff. And, you know, doing uh, talking about it as much as they can without crossing that line of, you know, promoting struck shows or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I can't wait till they can join in the fun, too, and uh, just talk all about that experience. Um well, yeah, anyway, I mean, we're spending all this time talking about last week's episode, as awesome as that was. But then this week we get another awesome episode uh, with episode six titled uh, Far, Far Away. So Can I just say real quick, too, that the episode titles for this whole series have been great. And like, that's one of the things I'm excited to see get revealed as the episode starts, because yep. they just been like perfectly fitting the stories and ones that just like when you see it you go oh boy like this is gonna be good <laughs> yeah and by the way i i was almost spot on with my prediction for this episode because i was thinking i didn't know if they would go this on the nose with it but i was like since they're going to a distant galaxy it would be cool if this episode was titled a galaxy far far away <laughs> um and it almost was so i thought that was cool um but yeah of course before we get the title reveal you know just the first shot of the episode is we see ahsoka and hu yang in their ship in the mouth of the pergola as they're traveling through hyperspace um with this really like weird colorful cool new hyperspace visual yeah. that we see for when it's you know pergola traveling between galaxies it's got this different look to it so that was already just a, a jaw-dropping visual right off the bat um and then we we see the two of them in the cockpit talking and uh ahsoka's talking to hu yang about 
how she still remembers being a youngling at the temple and how he would tell them stories about these distant galaxies and the history of the, uh, the history of the galaxy and the history of the Jedi and stuff. Um, and then they go into talking about Sabine. I, I think he asks if he's like, you know, oh, I still have those stories if you want to hear one. And she's like, no, not right now. And he's like, oh, well, maybe you have a story for me. And she starts talking about how um, she didn't tell Hera that when she uh, touched the map back on CTOS and sensed kind of the memory of Sabine's last moments there, um, that she learned that uh, that Sabine went with Balin and Shin and Morgan and everybody willingly and that she kind of joined them. Um, to be able to go and find Ezra. And she's, you know, kind of conflicted about it. And she's like, you know, man, she, you know, I, it was a difficult choice and I didn't have enough time to train her properly to make the right choice. And Hu Yang is like, yeah, but, you know, if you see things from her, her perspective, like maybe that was the only choice for her. Like she knows how important this is with Thrawn and everything, but like Ezra's more important to her and she doesn't want to lose him. Um and they kind of, you know, they kind of come to an impasse about it, I guess. And, you know, Ahsoka kind of gets to a point where she's like, all right, I just want to stop talking about it. And she's like, you know what? I Go ahead and tell me one of those stories after all. Um, and Hu Yang goes, okay, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. And then it cuts to the title sequence. And I just thought, man, what a perfect opportunity to work that into yeah. a, a bit of dialogue in a Star Wars story for the first time. And, of course, to have Hu Yang, who's this droid who's thousands of years old has all this ancient knowledge about the jedi and all these stories about the history of the galaxy and stuff the perfect character to get to deliver that line on screen um yeah and like, it was it was perfectly placed right before the title too because uh, it's almost like the <laughs> opening of a star wars movie where you see the a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then the star wars title comes up and here it was you hear the words a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then the asoga title comes up so it was just <laughs> so well executed one of those things that could come off as like too cheesy or on the nose right. or whatever but it's like they just they did it so well yeah it's like you have to walk a fine line with try to say dialogue like that because it could go horribly if we ever got that moment in the horrible duel of the fate script where is that moment where it says general hux lost the star wars or something <laughs> like that being so uh, referring to itself that way is like no, don't ever do that. But <laughs> in this way, like you said, it was, I know some people didn't really like it. Like it was just too meta for them. But I felt Ku Yang, like you said, was kind of the only character who could probably get away with saying that dialogue the way he did because of being a being who's thousands of years old and has tons of stories that he could tell. And there made reference how he was going to tell a story about distant galaxies that are far away and exactly totally, totally separate from the one they're at so of course he's gonna refer it to as a galaxy that's far far away so why not just say the iconic line <laughs> and so yeah it, it was something that i would never expect to hear actually said out loud in star wars but in this context and who said it i thought it worked very very nicely especially with setting up this episode yeah it was uh it was a perfect intro to it by the way with the episode title being far far away and us you know, of course, getting our, our first look at Ezra in this episode. Um, have you seen the clip that's been going around of uh, Dave Filoni doing his interview at Celebration like uh, last year back in 2022, um, where he's on stage with Andy Gutierrez and the you know, others? I, I like it, the clip that's going around is just the tail end of the interview. So I'm sure they probably were talking about Mando 
maybe talked a little bit about Ahsoka because um, I'm pretty sure Celebration last year, they just had the full hour long Mando panel. And then at the very end of it, like the last five minutes, they talked a little bit about Ahsoka and it had like just started filming at that point. And I think that was when they like they brought out uh, Chopper and Rosario Dawson. And that was when they announced uh, Natasha Lou Bordizzo as Sabine for the first time. And so they weren't talking much about Ahsoka and they, you know, Andy brings it up at the very end of the interview and Dave's like, oh yeah, like we're almost out of time and I got to go. But like, I'm sure you guys have a ton of questions and we haven't even talked about, you know, where's Ezra and all that stuff that you guys want to know. And, you know, of course the crowd behind him is going crazy and she's like, yeah, yeah, where is Ezra? He's like, yeah, okay. You guys want to know where Ezra is? I'll tell you where Ezra is. He's far, far away. Um, and then, of course, uh, we find out where Ezra is in the episode titled Far, Far Away. And so it's like, Dave knew. Like, that was totally intentional. And you can see, like, just watching the clip, you can see his thinking face. Like, <laughs> like almost like he knows, like, oh, fans are going to come back and find that once the episode airs. And they're like, you know, he, he knows that he's giving us an answer that, at the time only like he's the only one who knows that it's an actual answer um yeah, so i just great. love it when he has those fun little kind of tongue-in-cheek moments with the fans like that that's awesome i i actually haven't seen that but now i want to go back the one actually i did see kind of not necessarily make the rounds but i came across was at the rebels recon the final one they did for the season or the series finale of rebels and they were talking about like if he already has plans for the story of where Thrawn and Ezra is at. He's kind of saying like, yeah, these characters, I can't tell you like they're not dead. I mean, I have ideas, but I don't want to commit to anything just because I don't know when I'll tell that story. And I don't want to commit to any specific like story detail for where they might be or whatnot. So just, it was just kind of cool hearing it back then where like the ideas were already mulling in his head and kind of <laughs> developing mm -hmm. where it's going to go um, back then, which is, crazy thing five years ago <laughs> rebels ended but it's just as we'll talk about later on just to finally know exactly how um what played out for those two characters which is kind of really cool to look back at all that stuff now <laughs> where before it was just tons of questions and wondering like what's where are they and what's going to happen to them and now we know and it's a great feeling yeah definitely um yeah we got a lot of answers in this episode and yet also a lot of things that uh, then presented more questions. And I'm glad um, too it's the sixth episode because a uh, kind of concern I would have I had a, a little bit was that kind of all this stuff wouldn't happen to like the last or penultimate episode, maybe and we kind of be rushing through certain things. But I'm glad we kind of got the reveal of both Thrawn and Ezra in this episode here. And we got two more to kind of really dive into um, the outcome of the story and what uh, lies ahead for these characters. So I'm just glad that mm -hmm. kind of the big stuff happened at this point in the series. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. This was kind of a big story setup episode. Um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of action um, aside from, you know, the one scene with like Sabine and the bandits, but like there was, a lot of lore and world building and sort of character motivations and backstory revealed and um, just a lot of kind of, you know, new stuff introduced and moving the plot forward. And I think it's going to be uh, setting the stage for some really interesting stuff in the last couple episodes. But um, yeah, I mean, there was a, a ton of cool stuff here. Obviously, after the title reveal and everything, then we cut to uh sabine imprisoned in you know her cell on the, the eye of scion as it's traveling through hyperspace 
and uh you know we see Balin and Shin and and Morgan all talking about kind of where they're going and Sabine still being useful to their plans and Balin still honoring his agreement to let her see Ezra and all that kind of stuff um but then the the Eye of Sion emerges from hyperspace in just another freaking amazing shot like yeah you know you you see it with like all this lightning and smoke and stuff trailing behind it as it exits hyperspace and it's like glowing red hot almost like it's like they they probably wouldn't have made it much farther like it looks like that thing barely made it they're holding together in one piece um but uh you know they get there and then they're approaching the planet peridia peridia um which we had heard them talk about before that you know the when they used the map back on CTOS, they talked about it being like a the pathway to peridia or something but you know, I still was wondering, like, okay, is Peridia, like, is it a planet? Is it the galaxy? Is it some sort of, you know, gateway into the galaxy or something like that? And we find out that Peridia is indeed a planet. Um, and that it is both the ancient homeworld of the Dathomiri, um, who migrated to our galaxy and, <laughs> and settled on Dathomir. And also that it is, like sort of the end of the Pergil's migration path between galaxies and that this is where Pergil go to die. And so, and when they first come out of hyperspace, you see that, you know, it's like this Saturn looking planet with a, a ring around it. And then you get the reveal that the entire ring is made of Pergil bones, um, <laughs> just floating in space and forming this ring around the planet. But also Morgan says that, uh, you know, the Dathomiri were one of the first to learn to like harness and ride the Purgle and use them to travel between galaxies. And that's how they got to, we, we need, now we need names for the galaxies. I keep wanting to say our galaxy as if we live there, <laughs> right? But, you know, the main galaxy, um, you know, GFFA prime, um, <laughs> you know, they, they were the first ones to, or some of the first ones to learn how to ride the Purgle and travel there. And presumably that, you know, they settled on Dathomir and established, um, more of the Night Sisters that we know from the Clone Wars and stuff, but um, yeah, already in the first five minutes of this episode, we're getting all these massive lore drops about this galaxy and this planet and Pergil and Night Sisters, and it was just crazy way to start this off. Yeah, I mean, just from what you said to the visual of them coming out of hyperspace, it's like really cool, and I didn't notice it the first time. Just kind of like almost for like the Ring of Sion, almost like like burnt up a little bit, and it was almost like the lighting of it were coming out of hyperspace and almost like it repaired itself type of thing where, uh, but it was a really cool visual. I didn't know it's the first time a friend of mine had a point and I was like, Oh, watching it the second time. There it is. Looks really cool. And then, like I said, getting those reveals was just, I was eating that stuff all up, finding out that that's where uh, the night sisters came from. And they're not even from the main galaxy. And then then we're able to tame the purgle and travel through galaxies with them. And, Talk about a visual I want to see now <laughs> somewhere play out. Just a night sister riding on a pergol. Yeah, you insane. thought the EU you thought the EU stuff with night sisters riding rancors was cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Try night sisters riding space whales in between galaxies. And then finding out too, like you said, that that's where Purgle migrate to when it's time for them to die in that. Finding out the ring was just Purgle bones. It was just I mean, it's kind of a somber but yet cool visual. <laughs> something just something different of just seeing that that's what that ring is of that planet so yeah it's a lot of great stuff and then man you just can't help but think i don't know how deep you want to go into this now as far as like speculating about what it can mean for like the 
origins of the galaxy, not just that one, but ours and just stuff with the force of potentially tying into maybe even the Dawn of the Jedi movie coming up. There's just a lot. Oh, of cool, I want to get more into that a stuff. little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> but it would just, like I said, right off the bat, getting these like big bombshells happening as Morgan's telling everyone about this planet and this galaxy. It was just really cool stuff and just new or new lore added to the saga that I just love so much when that happens. Yeah. And then, um, you know, so they approach the planet, they enter the atmosphere, they kind of drop off the ring on their little shuttle um, and they're flying down through the atmosphere of the planet and, you know, they're flying through the clouds and then it, they come out to sort of reveal this wasteland littered with like statues and these ancient temples and fortresses and stuff that's got just like a really cool look to it that evokes just having a lot of um you know just a lot of history and mythology here that you know i just want to learn more about this planet and the people that live here and everything that's that's happened here and stuff over the years um you know it's got these these big tall statues of these like carved figures that kind of have their mouths wide open it's very reminiscent of some of the stuff that we've seen on dathomir both in clone wars and in uh, jedi fallen order um but also the way that they were like these sort of tall thin curved like spires that that kind of curved at the top it also i don't know if you noticed this it seemed very reminiscent of uh some of the stuff on malachor as well um especially if you think of of the surface of malachor before they you know go underground um when they go there in rebels so um i wonder if that'll be a connection or if that was just kind of a stylistic thing that dave liked that he wanted to use again or if there maybe will be if we'll find out there's some sort of connection between ancient force users from this planet and ones who ended up in in our galaxy um on malachor and other you know sort of ancient force user sites like that um but i mean i immediately just loved the look of this planet and the history that it evoked and i was so hoping to see like some weird interesting stuff in this new galaxy like i wanted to i I wanted to get there and have it look different visually and sort of feel distinct Mm -hmm. um and sort of the only frame of reference i had i was picturing something kind of weird and colorful almost like uh like tanalor in jedi survivor um where it's, yeah. you know, these very bright pastel like blues and pinks and kind of has almost this like hazy, shimmery kind of quality to it. And just looks very weird and different from anything we've seen before. I was kind of thinking something along those lines. And instead we get this, which was like, it didn't necessarily feel really like alien and exotic, but it still felt like really cool and unique and like something that we've never seen before. And even like once Thrawn and the troopers and everything show up and the Night Sisters and all that, like it just the color palette of sort of like the browns and grays and like reds and golds and stuff. Like it gave this planet a very distinct, unique feel. And I was I was just very satisfied that I was like, I didn't want it to be like Tython in uh season two of mando in the boba fett episode where it's like oh we're going to this ancient jedi homeworld and then it just kind of looks like you know the southern california desert or something um or you know and even after like the sequel trilogy where it's like oh here's another desert planet and here's another ice planet and here's another forest planet that you know just kind of evoke the the feeling of the original trilogy like i was glad to just get something new and different and unique that felt like it had really its own vibe and its own history and lore and stuff that I really just wanted to dive more into. Yeah. If I can get, I guess one little nitpick I have 
out of the way is kind of the same thing you were saying, how I was hoping that once we got to the other galaxy, it would just look totally different, like unlike anything we've seen before in Star Wars and just have it just be otherworldly, exotic. The planet is like this really visually striking. And when we didn't get that, I was, I was like a tad disappointed. But then once we got like all the lore stuff of the history of what that planet actually is and knowing that it became a wasteland and who knows what it looked like beforehand. Um, and then I just mentioned too, once the Thrawn and we see the Night Sisters and the aesthetic of their temple, it did have its own distinct feel. For uh, it does kind of just feel like it could be any other planet in the main galaxy. But um, at the same time, it didn't really take too much away from it um, as far as having the impact of knowing that we're just in a completely separate galaxy than what we're used to. I'm just definitely dissatisfied with kind of more of the history and the lore that came about in this episode regarding uh, this planet, the first planet anyway, that we're gotten to this uh, galaxy. Um, so yeah, that was just one thing just coming from a visual aesthetic point I was just a little disappointed in. But at the same time, I mean, there's still going to be plenty i'm sure op other opportunities to explore this galaxy and maybe get more mm -hmm. into what other planets and systems in this galaxy can maybe have their own unique feel to it but maybe it's because this one's kind of at the edge of it and is the pathway to get to the main galaxy maybe that's why it's just a little similar but re regardless it was still just cool getting to when we see that the moment of their ship or their shuttle i should say kind of going into the atmosphere making their way um to that uh temple but seeing those statues it was just a cool visual just kind of getting our first look at one of those statues from inside the cockpit where it's like oh man that looks cool but they're still kind of keeping it a mystery like it just makes you think oh man what is that like what what else is going to be on this planet here just kind of giving that little tease from inside the cockpit of what um the planet is going to be once they kind of finally reveal and have the big wide shot of showing there's like several of those statues before they make it to uh, the top of that temple there so yeah just a cool way to make uh the characters to make their entry into the first planet that we've seen in this other galaxy far far away yeah definitely and i mean like you said even though it wasn't immediately like it's not unique and like visually striking enough for you to immediately be like oh this is a whole different galaxy that we're in now i was just glad that at least it didn't feel like any other planet that we had seen before even like yes. in our galaxy like i was like okay like I'm sure there's planets in this other galaxy that are similar to ours. It's not like this whole entire galaxy is going to, you know, have a whole different color scheme to it or anything like that. But mm. um, yeah, I was just glad to get a, a cool, new, unique looking planet that we haven't seen before. Yeah, we'll get to this later. But I think what also helped out a lot is the creatures that inhabit this planet to, mm -hmm. to really set, set it apart. Yeah, definitely. Um, but even some of the architecture too, like when they get to this temple, you can totally tell, like, we know Dave Filoni is a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Oh yeah, I know where you're you going. Spot yeah. those, those visuals, you know, we've already got like Ahsoka the White and stuff, but like this fortress, I think like, so I had a couple friends over and we're, we're watching it and like, I did the Leo DiCaprio, like sitting up and pointing at the screen <laughs> thing. And I was like, that's Minas Tirith. Um, from so, Lord of the Rings, but like. You know it, what has to happen now? We got to see Ahsoka the, the White ride one of those mounts making her way up to that, <laughs> that oh yeah that castle to really get that gandalf visual <laughs> yeah but um yeah it was still just like a really cool looking you know kind of fortress temple thing um with this you know kind of built into the side of a mountain with these rings at the base and then this tall spire going up and they land at the top of this spire um walk out and we see that there's a uh 
you know, another sort of shrine or, or henge or whatever you want to call it of like the, the sort of circle of stones, just like the one on Cetos. And in the center of it are three night sisters who, you know, now it was cool enough seeing Morgan Elsbeth and finding out that she was like either a night sister herself or like a descendant of the night sisters or whatever. I know she doesn't look exactly like the ones from Clone Wars, but it's like, okay, she's got like the red and black dress and, you know, the little tattoo on her forehead and stuff. Like there's enough there that I'm like, okay, I buy it. She's a night sister. That's cool. Um, but these were the full on like red robes, white and black yeah. face paint, the echoey deep voice, like all of it. It was just like, it was like they stepped right out of the Clone Wars. And I was, I mean, I was, Again, this was a huge, like, pleasant surprise. Um, even as they're approaching the planet and we're getting all this lore about Night Sister history and stuff, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I just want to learn more about this history and stuff. But I didn't know, like, I was like, are they still there? They're talking like this is the ancient homeworld. Like, are they all dead and gone now? Like, I, I was not expecting to see, like, you know, these this group of Night Sisters there. Um, and have them play such a big role in the story and everything. So that was just, it was really cool to see them in the flesh sitting there doing their magic. And they've got these, um, you know, these spheres with this energy between them that kind of looks like the, uh, I don't know if we'll ever see this in live action, but like it, it kind of has the same kind of feel as like the energy that the, the Night Sisters on Dathomir use for like their bowstrings and their energy bows and stuff. Um, cause I was watching with actually our friend Jason from, uh, the Wampa's lair and he was like, oh, like I would have liked to see them use more of like their green fire magic. And I was like, yeah, but we've also seen them use this kind of like red energy stuff before. So, um, I wonder if we'll see more of that, but yeah, it was just, uh, <laughs> I was not expecting that to be the first thing that, that we were going to see when we got to this new planet, but it was awesome. Me neither. But yeah, I mean, they just looked absolutely fantastic. I believe there were called the Great Mothers, I believe. We all know Mother Talzin, but these mm. are the Great Mothers here. So, um, I mean, who knows how long they've been alive and been on this planet. Are they like still like one of the first uh, members of the Night Sisters who survived from the beginning? I mean, I don't know, but as they kind of mentioned later, they're, they kind of want to get off the planet too, it seems. So, um, but still, just to see them in the flesh, like you said, with their red outfits that we know so well from the Clone Wars and the vocal effects that being used to give it that really creepy feel to it. And I like the the line one of them said to Sabine was like, you reek of Jedi, just how you know mm -hmm. offended they are. <laughs> That's just by the thought of <laughs> sensing the force within someone who could be a Jedi. And like, it makes me think too, is like, it makes you think, I believe she's looking directly at Sabine, but was she actually smelling it off uh, Balin and Shin maybe? I don't know. But um, it's just, again, having just seeing that hatred they have for the Jedi already here is just, just something kind of cool and just know that Ahsoka's on her way and just the potential of the confrontation that could happen between the Night Sisters and um, some Jedi again is just really cool. But yeah, seeing them be introduced here, um, Night Sisters in the flesh looked absolutely great. So yeah, that was a cool surprise to get that I wasn't expecting. Again, just the idea that this planet is the home world and the origin of the Night Sisters, just the fact that they are from this galaxy and not the main one, just it gets your head again, it gets you in speculation mode or just uh, theory mode. It's just always a lot of fun when that happens. But uh, just having them be a part in this story and this aspect of the story where it's focusing on this other main galaxy and know that 
they're probably going to have a big role in these next two episodes. It's just, I can't wait to see how it all plays out. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even to the point of like them, uh, when they point out Sabine and say like, it reeks of Jedi. I'm like, how do you know what exactly reeks of? <laughs> like have, have Jedi been there before? Are there Jedi in this galaxy? Have the Night Sisters traveled to our galaxy? Is it something that they've just sort of sensed through the Force or through their magic or whatever? Because we also know that they have the ability to sense things or at least communicate like between galaxies um, because we find out like they were communicating with Morgan and sort of reaching out to her through the Force and, and giving her dreams and visions and stuff that kind of guided her here. Um which I thought was really cool and was like a reveal that I was not necessarily even expecting to get. But like earlier in the series when she says, um, she says Thrawn calls to me, like when they're on CTOS and they're doing the map and everything. And she's talking to, you know, Balin and Chin and she's like, Thrawn calls to me. And I think, you know, Balin is kind of dismissing it as witchcraft or whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, like, how does that work? Like, is she somehow sensing Thrawn or is he, like, sending her signals with some kind of technology? Or, But I kind of chalked it up to just more of, like, a, you know, that's her perception or she's just sort of, like, yearning to be reunited with Thrawn and, and you know, more in a sort of vague, like, metaphorical sense, like, feels like he's calling out to her. Um, but no, lo and behold, we find out he's teamed up with some Night Sisters who are literally, you know, <laughs> using their magic to reach out to her across another galaxy and, you know, get her to put this plan in action to to come and evacuate them. So, um, yeah, it was it's just so cool. I mean, just the amount of like lore and history and world building that's baked into this episode. I'm like, man, this was this was some good stuff. Yeah, it's like, just keep it coming. <laughs> I mean, this is what made the prospect of another galaxy so exciting. And where I just think we're just really scratching the surface of what new stuff and lore we're going to get. And I just absolutely mm -hmm. love that. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so, you know, they, they take Sabine away to a prison cell um, down below in the tower. The Night Sisters or the Mothers go off with... Um, with Morgan and of course you know she asks about Thrawn and they say like he's on his way or he'll be here soon or whatever um so they go, go off to do their thing and it leaves Balin and Shin um there on the top of the tower by themselves and they have this really interesting conversation um and I just love every line of Balin's dialogue here and I, I forget the exact line but he you know he's looking out over the wasteland and he says like this is a, a world of dreams and madness or something like that um and talks about how you know, it's like children's stories come to life because he would hear stories like this at the temple and Shin is like, oh, you know, I knew no such stories. So like, this isn't real to me or whatever. And then he talks about how, you know, he, he just kind of looks at her and he's like, you know, when I was not much older than you, like I watched my whole world crumble around me. And, you know, she asked him if he's talking about the Jedi temple and the order and everything. Um, but uh I forget exactly how the rest of that conversation goes, but he, he's, he says something like, you know, at first I couldn't make sense of it or I couldn't believe what happened, but then the older you get and you study history and you realize that mm -hmm. this is a cycle that repeats over and over where the Jedi rise and the Jedi fall and empires rise. And of course, as longtime fans, we know, like we've seen this with, you know, it happens in the old Republic kind of multiple times where, 
different Sith empires rise to overthrow the Jedi and then they fall and the Jedi go through kind of dark periods. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, it's now happened recently with the Clone Wars and Sidious and everything. And um, he talks about how it's just this like vicious cycle that has happened before and it will happen again. And he says, um, oh, and, uh, you know, Shin is like, well, you know, once we ally with Thrawn, like, won't it finally be our turn to be in power? And he's like, no, like that kind of power is fleeting. Um, that's not what I'm here for. Like, you know, he says something about I'm seeking a power. Uh, you mentioned something about the beginning, like yep. the power mm -hmm. to go back to the beginning or something like that. Yeah, and, I need to get to the beginning or something to that effect. Or... Yeah. And stop this whole cycle once and for all. Um, which is really fascinating. And I'm glad that, I mean, this is the kind of thing I've been waiting for where I'm like, Balin's an interesting character, but there's, there's gotta be more to him than just, oh, a former Jedi who became a mercenary. Um, and now is, you know, working for the bad guys, but he's not a Sith or whatever. And it's like that, uh, this is such a fascinating motivation because it's like, now I can see why he is sort of willing to work with the bad guys to achieve his goals because he thinks that everything he's doing is for the greater good. Like he's willing to kill people and, you know, work with Morgan and try to help bring Thrawn back or whatever, because he's like, at the end of the day, like none of that stuff matters. What matters is me getting here and seeking out whatever this power is that he's looking for. And yeah, like you were talking about, I think once we find out whatever this is, I'm like, I'm sure it's going to be something that's tied to ancient history of the Jedi and the force and stuff. And it's like, how much of that are we going to get explained and explored in this show? Mm -hmm. How much of it might tie into James Mangold's movie. That's supposed to be about the dawn of the Jedi. Like are he and Dave already collaborating on what that story is going to be? And maybe that's why they announced them at the same time. Like, you know, is it all going to be kind of connected? Um, but I also can't help but wonder, you know, just because it's Dave, like, is this power that Balin is seeking, does it have something to do with Mortis? Does it have something to do with the world between worlds? Um, you know, when he talks about going back to the beginning, it's like, is it just, is it some sort of ancient power or being or something that he's seeking out? that you know, has been around since the beginning or is it something like the world between worlds that potentially would let him literally go back to the beginning and maybe stop mm -hmm. all of this from ever happening in the first place like i i can't wait to find out more details about what exactly it is that he's looking for and what exactly he's trying to do but this was a big drop right here like and again the, i mean the character has been fascinating this whole time just because Ray Stevenson has played him so well and he's so, you know, in his fights with Ahsoka and everything, he's so sort of like menacing and intimidating and just cool to watch. Um, and you always got that sense that like there was more to him and it was just kind of fascinating to watch this slowly get revealed. But like, this was the big drop where it's like, okay, now we finally know what he's all about and, and what he's after and his motivations are clear now. Um, and I just can't wait to see how that all plays out because that could have some huge implications. Um, and I mean, like anything's on the table at this point because we know how right. much <laughs> stuff from Legends Dave loves to bring in and, and you know, not just do fan service and Easter eggs, but like stuff that's impactful to the story. But, you know, when if there's a way to bring something in that makes sense to the story that he also knows is going to be impactful to the fans, like he'll do that. So I'm like, 
my mind is spinning with like, are we, you know, is, is this going to deal with the ancient Jedi and Sith? Is it just more Night Sister stuff? Is it again? Is it Mortis? Is it the world between worlds? Is it something related to the Bendu? I was thinking about that earlier Ooh. today too, where it's you know he's trying to stop this this vicious cycle of destruction between light and darkness. Well, that sounds an awful lot like he's trying to be the one in the middle. Like, oh, there's man. so many cool different directions they could go with this. She's yeah, wow. <laughs> I mean, the stuff with Balin and Shin that was some of the highlights of this episode as well. I mean, just everything about this episode works so good, and just this scene between them was just fantastic and like you said just made really another thing that made you really think about the possibilities of what could be in store for us um regarding the story element and what balin is after because i always felt that even in the first episodes of when we saw them how even though he's trying to get to thrawn and help morgan get to that galaxy and he was talking about what finding thrawn will mean to shin ward other like power um i never took took it to where that was his main goal. I always knew he was finding Thrawn was a mean to it towards an end to him. And this is it getting to now he's on the planet in this galaxy to get to his goal. As far as what he says is the beginning. And I actually went to that scene <laughs> as you were talking real quick, just to see his exact dialogue. And he goes, what I seek is the beginning. So it's not like he says, I'm trying to get to the beginning or what I, our path lie at the beginning is like he seeks the beginning <laughs> and it's just really makes you think and just as far as like you said because i kept thinking is it going to be more of something that's to do with the world between worlds when you talk about because i mean that's the closest we're getting to time travel or time manipulation in star wars and if that's indeed what he's after then that would make sense that um he's trying to get to either the world between worlds or he knows something else maybe that grants you more power than that because it would be kind of ironic if he was searching for a way to get to the world between worlds and um if he comes to find out ahsoka was able to access it through Cetos and there was a way there anyway and he just didn't realize it but i think there's definitely going to be more to it than just that but yeah i mean it was just so great hearing that dialogue with him showing his frustration of that endless cycle that seems to be happening in the galaxy and just how he really wants to change it and i mean we know he's as far as we know anyway isn't going to be successful knowing what happens after that because the cycle does continue as we see later on in the sequel trilogy but it just makes you think is it maybe setting up for something to go back to that potential storyline down in the future to really kind of break the cycle eventually I mean, if they ever want to tell like the final star wars story ever which i don't think we will but i wonder maybe they'll set up a potential for a way to do that some way through this but even regardless if we ever get that i just think it's a fascinating concept to explore um not only just with balin as a character but just knowing if something is out there that can be done and just how someone in the star wars galaxy sees that and they want to change that and know that is really the ultimate way to succeed to get rid of this conflict of good and evil and as he mentioned to ahsoka he's doing this for or or was it maybe with Sabine when he was trying to tempt her to go with him? But just to, he's doing this for a greater good. And you truly believe that that is the case for what he believes will be the greater good by doing this. And it yeah. kind of makes sense too. It just even, I think, adds more to the conversation that he had with Sabine to get him, to get her to join him because they're kind of coming from the same angle here. I mean, doing things that they know is going to be bring ruin to their main galaxy with bringing Thrawn back and starting another war. But Sabine's obviously wanted to do it to be reunited with Ezra. 
thinking that she, he's the, really the only person uh, she has left. And then him willing to risk or Balin willing to risk that so he can just get to this planet and get what he seeks to kind of finally end that cycle. And even though it may start another war with Thrawn coming back, um, he'd be able to end it once and for all if he's able to accomplish his goals. So yeah, it's just a lot of great stuff that you can really dive into. And then just to kind of follow up what you're saying about speculation with the Dawn of the Jedi and all that, and just the potential of what just this information and the lore that we're getting in this episode, what could it mean for the origins of the Jedi? As we're talking about with the Night Sisters, they know of Jedi. Did the actually or the actual discovery of the Force come here in this galaxy? Maybe I'm not sure mm. if it's this planet, but in this galaxy, and there was like a schism or a split between those who wanted to follow the light side and eventually became uh, Jedi, and they migrated to our galaxy, but yet it all originated here and the Night Sisters knew of them and there caused that mm. friction and that conflict between them. And maybe they were the first ones to discover the dark side. So it's just, again, just <laughs> exciting stuff that How we could potentially dive into. If, like, if the Night Sisters were the, the original dark side users and not the Sith. It, yeah, I mean. That would be crazy. It could, like It could point to that. Yeah, it's just, oh man. It's just so fascinating and fun to think about that stuff. But And yet... Uh, jumping ahead a little bit i mean later balin seems to allude to the fact that and we know that you know the the, the great mothers have made this deal with thrawn that once he gets rescued that they get to go with him and bring this cargo and we'll take about talk about that in a minute um <laughs> but you know balin mentions that like they seem to be or it was balin or shin like mentioned that they seem to be like they're trying to get away from something yeah, that there's like shin. a greater power here that they don't understand or something like that and so I don't think that whatever this source of power is, I don't think it's just like a powerful night sister thing, but it's like maybe, yeah, also on this planet is some source of uh, whether it's Jedi or Sith or just something even, you know, beyond any of that. But I yeah. think it definitely could be something tied to the origin of the force and the origin of all those different groups. And I'm so fascinated to see what that is because i mean we thought that thrawn was going to be the end game for this series but now it's like there's all these other big implications that we hadn't even thought of and i'm i'm so curious to see where this goes over these last two episodes i know and i love that obviously when he speaks of seeking the beginning maybe that is where he wants to get to the discovery of the force or the force creating life if that's even how life became we came in the galaxy i mean just again you could go just really deep into stuff of what he's actually after but um just to kind of change things the way to i don't know if he like he wants to not necessarily end time or prevent life from ever happening but just whatever causes the conflict like the first war or whatever which maybe could have been between the very first jedi and the night sisters that started all this and he wants to change some something critical that happened there or the outcome of that. I mean, we don't know because it seems like all he has to go on is just folklore and fairy tales as far as what he's describing it as what he heard in the Jedi temple growing up there. But he obviously took it to heart and probably mm -hmm. viewed it more as just folklore or fairy tales, but given that's how others saw it, but yeah, just great stuff. Cause even Another Shin, uh, Shin asked him too, like, you know, he's talking about this power and she says like, and you think you'll find it here? And he says, if the stories are true. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, he's obviously heard some kind of stories about this place that lead him to believe that, you know, this is where the, the answer lies for whatever he's trying to do. 
I have another theory that I'll go into about what he's after, but it kind of ties in more to his other conversation he has with Shin towards the end. So I'll, I'll save it for that. Okay. But one thing I just want to mention too, just from a visual aesthetic, just how great his and Shin's armor looked in the setting. I'm looking at an image of it right now where they're on the top of that temple. There's like those hinges uh, behind them in the background. And just that, I said this in a tweet, how this episode just really captures that fantasy element of Star Wars that I mm-hmm. love so much. Just how like they're in a medieval castle and they're just two knights on the top of a castle and just the way like Shin's shoulder armor and her gloves, it just has a lot real silver metallic knight armor feel to it. And then Balin has a dark armor. It just looks, looks really cool and just really dives into that fantasy element. So just from an aesthetic and visual standpoint, that conversation they had on the top of that tower is really, really cool. I just loved how their costumes looked even more so in this moment here. Yeah. I mean, they are, definitely some of the best new character designs that we've gotten in you know this entire era of disney star wars um and i can't wait to get the action figures for both of those characters (laughs) once they're announced um this that's gonna have to go on my black series shelf for sure um but yeah i mean it was just such a fascinating conversation here and like you said there's more to it later that we'll talk about too um but yeah, that was some great stuff. And just, again, you talk about the fantasy vibes and like this episode in particular, but really this whole show, that's one aspect of it yeah, that I've really been enjoying. Right. And, you know, I mean, Dave talked about really wanting this to to feel like, uh, I mean, he talked about it as like a samurai adventure, um, but it really is, you know, it's got that fantasy adventure kind of feel to it. And even, you know, this episode for sure had some, um, definitely like some Lord of the Rings type vibes and also some vibes of, you know, more like, 80s kind of adventure movies like you know willow and dark crystal and stuff like that with the the cute little weird creatures and stuff for um, me more specifically the ewok movies <laughs> yeah that too. Of that but i mean that to me gets lumped right in with that group of uh, like you know kind of the those nostalgic 80s movies that deal with magic and creatures and have a lot of puppets and and stuff like that um but uh yeah i mean even in the last episode with like the world between worlds and doing all this sort of you know visions and flashbacks and then also these majestic star whales and you know it's just i love it so much man like i love the fantasy elements i just love all the new stuff that we're seeing um you know certainly nobody can complain about ahsoka feeling like you know, oh, it's just relying on the familiar or it's, oh, we're just going back to Tatooine again or, you know, whatever. It's like Dave really is pushing the boundaries here. And obviously, I mean, you know, you see the stuff that he's taking inspiration from. Um, So, you know, there are elements of it that are familiar as well as obviously familiar characters because this is continuing on from Rebels and other Star Wars stories. But there's still just so much that we're seeing that is either brand new or new to star Wars or things that we're seeing through a new and different lens. And, uh, you know, this episode had a ton of that as well. So I'm just totally loving it. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we're just barely kind of the first, not even maybe the first half of the episode. And there's so much great stuff that (laughs) we got already in this one and just more great stuff to come as I mean, let's just continue on. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get to the, the the reveal of uh, the the first man of the hour. Um, <laughs> yeah, we go back to uh, Sabine in her cell, and she's like, 
okay, let me try using the force again and see if, if I can escape. And, you know, she's got her hand up and she's trying to use the force on the door. And at first nothing's happening. And then it starts vibrating, you know, subtly just a little bit. And I'm like, oh, is, are we going to actually see her doing something here? And then it gets hard, you know, it starts vibrating harder. And I'm thinking like, oh, is this somebody more powerful in the force? Like is Ezra on the other side and he's actually coming to rescue her? And then the whole room starts shaking and I'm like, oh, this isn't Sabine. This is something's coming this is something big and i love that the first tease you get is just like there's sort of like a slit of a window um out behind her and you can see the light coming in and you see a shadow start blocking the light but you can see just the sides of the shadow are angled just enough that you can tell what that shape is and i'm like oh <laughs> we're about to see the chimera here it comes um and sure enough, then, you know, we go to Balin and Shin on top of the tower and they look and we see just this awesome visual, awesome reveal shot of Thrawn Star Destroyer, the Chimera. Um, I mean, just a heck of a visual of this thing like floating up above the tower. And I love these. I mean, you don't see it in Star Wars often, especially I feel like in, you know, the movies and the live action stuff. But like seeing a Star Destroyer from the ground or seeing it, you know, in the sky, like parked above a temple or something, or, you know, above real people, like you really just get a sense of the scale of how massive these ships are. Um, but of course, you know, this is our first time seeing the Chimera since that battle on Lothal and it was taken away and you see how banged up and, mm -hmm. and damaged it is. And that the way that it's been sort of repaired and patched up with these, this gold metallic stuff that's, you know, sort of patching it together. Um, you know, you see from the underside, obviously, the that Chimera design is still there, and I love seeing that. Um, but even seeing it from the back as it's, uh, you know, approaching the tower, like, those three big main engines that are always lit up on the back of the Star Destroyer, like, those are out. It's just sort of like the, the little smaller, um, I don't know if you want to call them, you know, like the sublight engines or the, the repulsors or whatever, Um the smaller, less powerful engines are the only ones that are active. Like the, the big ones are burned out. And so just visually, they're telling you like why Thrawn wasn't able to escape this galaxy, even though he had this massive ship. Um, but man, it was just so cool to see it in live action again. So cool to see it, uh, you know, patched up and repaired and looking all derelict and stuff, but still really, you know, just big and intimidating. Um, and then they park it so that, you know, the tower is right up against the main hangar bay and I was wondering, I'm like, I doubt it's just Thrawn and Ezra. Like, there probably were still some stormtroopers left on that ship. But we didn't know, like, what the extent of Thrawn's forces were going to be. Well, this thing comes down and you can immediately see, like, the, the, the bays are still active and lit. And there's TIE fighters and stuff in here. And then as it pulls up right next to it, like, you see the whole army of stormtroopers. Um... But then as we get closer and get a good look at these troopers, which, by the way, I, I didn't catch this at first, but like through the subtitles, they're called night troopers. I just um, noticed that right now, actually, too. <laughs> so yeah, so that's talking. something I want to talk about, too, in a second. But we see that, you know, these guys, I mean, they definitely look like they've been stranded in another galaxy for 10 years. Their uniforms are dirty. They're cracked. I love that they do this thing where um, it's a, a Japanese technique. I think it's called like Kitsugi where uh you know with like japanese art it's the thing where like if you 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 take like a broken ceramic bowl or something and instead of just throwing it away they'll repair it with 
you know, this bonding agent or whatever that's mixed with like gold and stuff. So it ba you, you basically seal the cracks with gold or some other, um, you know, something beautiful looking to kind of it's signifying like, you know, that that cracks and damage aren't a bad thing. It's just sort of part of life and that beauty can still come from that. Um, and I know that was kind of a, a similar kind of inspiration that J.J. Abrams used in uh, Rise of Skywalker with Kylo Ren's repaired helmet, where it's got all the red, you know, the, the red stuff holding the cracks together. Um, but we get full on, you know, stormtrooper armor with with the gold cracks and stuff and also some of it being held together by like red bandages that, again, is very evoking of like the, the Night Sister type stuff. Um we get the reveal of Thrawn's right-hand man named Captain Enoch, and he also has, you know, the same kind of look to him, but hit with a, a totally unique, like, just gold faceplate on his helmet that just looks like a human face and looks really, like, weird and unsettling, but super cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and all these guys are lining the hangar, standing at attention, you know, forming a, a corridor down the middle and chanting Thrawn's name, um, which... I will say it was my one little nitpick with the scene. I thought, I mean, just with the way the music was blaring and the visuals of seeing all these troopers and everything, I thought it was a, a big enough entrance already. I didn't necessarily need the chanting in there. That <laughs> felt a little weird to me, like especially because at first I could like I couldn't even tell what they were saying. I was just like, it sounded like they were just kind of you know making noise or something. And I was like, wait, are these supposed to be like words? Especially because Enoch says a couple of things. Um, I think I just wasn't expecting them to be like chanting Thrawn. And so I, I wasn't like listening for that. And then once I realized that's what that was, I was like, oh, that, I don't need that. But OK, sure, whatever. Um, but then, you know, sure enough, we get Grand Admiral Thrawn marching down the middle, you know, revealed in all his glory. I was surprised because, I, I mean, I thought when we got to this other galaxy, maybe we were going to find both Ezra and Thrawn like you know, in the wilderness, like with their hair grown out, like I was trying like, to survive. <laughs> yeah. Like what state are we going to find these guys in? I mean, the way that we find Ezra at the end of the episode was a little bit more like, I was like, are we going to see Thrawn in a similar way? But nope, he's still in charge. He's still in command. He's still got his star destroyer. He's got his troops. He's got his night sister allies. He's ready to go. And all he needs is just a ride out of this galaxy. Um, but man, it just, I mean, the whole visual and spectacle and sound and everything of the sequence was just such an awesome um, grand entrance befitting a grand admiral. Um, and he just, I mean, he looked great, sounded great. Um, and I, I, you know, he walks up to the group and it just has this great first line where he says, like, what was once a dream has now become a frightening reality for those who would oppose <laughs> us in that iconic Lars Mikkelsen Thrawn voice. And it was yeah. just, there he is. It was awesome. <laughs> wow. Talk about making an entrance. It doesn't get much better than this. The reveal of the chimera rising up over that tower was such a sight to behold and just, I just had a huge grin on my face seeing that Star Destroyer make its way. And then, as you said, once we get to see the troopers still that are still around and the different looks that they had, I was just like, wow, this I was not expecting this. And then we get the reveal of Enoch, which I never would have guessed. If you told me to think of some new trooper design concept, 
I wouldn't have thought of this, but yeah, it looks so crazy and unique. And I just, it's, it's so cool. I tweeted this out saying, I don't know if it'll go down as one of my favorite Trooper Helmer designs, but it's still the uniqueness of it. It's just really cool. And it just, again, just adds to that fantasy element and visual look that this episode has so much. And I'm glad that he's, I mean, that doesn't have a real prominent role, but I think the more we see a Thrawn in the next two episodes, we're going to see stuff with Enoch as well. And I, I would love to see him in action too, just to see how he rose up to be Thrawn second in command. Because, you know, um, if you we watched the Rebel season finale, on that Star Destroyer, there was a Death Trooper still there where Ezra just did a force push, like pushed him back before shutting the blast door. So there could be potentially a Death Trooper that's still alive in there somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe if he survived those 10 years or so, but there's potentially some Death Trooper armor around the Chimera still. We'll see if that shows up. But um, still, just visually seeing those troopers was just really cool. And then, yeah, Enoch just kind of put it over the top, just how <laughs> visually exciting this whole sequence was and just seeing these loyal followers of Thrawn here. And um, I don't know if you want to get into this now as far as maybe what these troopers actually are, but I'll just say maybe not all these troopers are alive right now. <laughs> yeah, well, let's get into that because that was one thing I thought about, um, again, especially like, when when I first saw them and again saw the gold, saw the the red bandages and stuff, I just thought it was aesthetically a cool choice. Um, once we find out that they're called night troopers, at first it took a second for it to to click because I was like, oh, that's kind of a dumb name because like I would hear night troopers and immediately you know I'm thinking like shadow troopers or death troopers mm -hmm. like the ones with the black armor. Um, and I'm like, these guys are too. They're not bright and shiny because all their uniforms look very like you know, dirty and worn and, you know, definitely like they've been stranded for 10 years, but there's still mostly, you know, like white and gold and gray kind of color scheme. I'm like, that doesn't evoke, you know, night to me and darkness and stuff until I realized like, oh, wait, no, this night as in like night sisters, night brothers, night troopers, it's, you know, evoking the association with the Dathomiri and the night sister magic and stuff. And so then I was like, oh, and especially, again, once you think about the fact that these, the gold cracks and everything in the armor that have been sealed up, it's like, oh, so that armor must have been damaged, um, you know, either in the Battle of Lothal and the, the attack from the Pergil or in the subsequent whatever happened with them arriving at this galaxy and on this planet and everything. So it's like, yeah, how many of those troopers are dead and have been resurrected with Night Sister magic? Um, and that could go I into like, the reason of them chanting Thrawn, almost like they're just mindless beings, just saluting the leader, like the only one they know to follow type of thing. Where yeah, like well, I could even see a, a thing where like even if they are still alive, that they maybe have become these like fanatical devotees of Thrawn because he's all they have mm -hmm. left to cling to. Yeah. Um, and I mean Thrawn, just because he's so kind of like practical and everything, like doesn't strike me as the type that would become this like egomaniacal like cult leader, um, and sort of make people chant his name. No, but also yeah. because he's just such this like legendary figure within the Empire and a, a competent leader and everything, and has kept these guys alive for ten years. I could see how maybe they go a little crazy and just start to kind of like worship him. Um, so I think that could very I. I I would lean more towards that angle just with the chanting, but again, there also could be 
because like at least in Clone Wars and stuff, when we've seen Night Sisters resurrect the dead, like they don't start talking. Like they're just kind of mindless zombies that are screaming and screeching and stuff. Um, but I don't know. Maybe we'll see some new aspects of that that we haven't seen before. Um, I what I'm really hoping now, whatever the case is with these troopers, because regardless, we're gonna see some Night Sister magic in these next couple episodes, and I think we're gonna maybe see some different aspects of it in live action that we haven't seen before and maybe learn some different ways that it can work. I hope we get some answers about Maroc and what I think that's his definitely deal the tie into this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think either they're going to mention him directly, or maybe we'll see the same type of effect happen on somebody else and realize like, Oh, that's what was going on with him. Um, so yeah, I I definitely think because it was uh, we talked about this back in that episode in episode four where it was like yeah like I want to know more I hope we find out more but at the same time if that's the one thing that gets left unanswered in this show like I'm kind of okay with it but given the amount of other things that we got further explanation on in this episode that I wasn't expecting now I'm like oh they're coming back around to that for sure like that was intentional there's a story there it's gonna play more into whatever whatever's going on with this Night Sister stuff so. Um, yeah, I just, I can't wait to find out more and find out what the deal is with these troopers and mm -hmm. see what these night sisters have up their red flowy sleeves. One thing I was thinking of too, like maybe not necessarily these are troopers who were dead and got resurrected, but maybe this is the only way to keep them alive all this time was to use some of that night sister magic in a way that kind of where they, they almost become like not immortal, but where they don't age or they're able to survive without sustenance or something like that, but they kind of lose part of themselves. Mm. They're almost like those kind zombie of, types. Yeah, like undead a little bit. Mm. Like the um, uh, the first thing that comes to mind, like the pirates in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, where they get the cursed gold and like Some, they can't yeah. die. But they're kind, that of, they're, they're kind of cursed and you know stuff like that. So yeah, it could be something like that. Yeah, because I totally expect probably that face plate on Enoch's helmet's going to get cracked off or broken off and we're going to see like some like zombified human face behind there <laughs> to where it's it's not just a human stormtrooper i think behind that mask so yeah Dude, that would be so crazy yeah right and this makes me think too as far as the setup of what's this is going to be for either these next two episodes or maybe just dave's movie coming up because when you see this army of stormtroopers you think you know they're going to be fight troops from the new republic or whatnot or maybe not necessarily that's because that's why i think maybe not necessarily in the series we'll see that but once we get to if we think thrawn is going to make it off of this planet and into our main galaxy which i think you and me agree that he will um but this what that role is going to play in his army is going to what type of threat the new republic is going to be up against it just could be exactly this army right here and with um those uh tombs that they're bringing out into the starter toys that we see later on maybe they're planning for more of that and just kind of have that spread across to maybe like other individuals or beings that they could use to make their army grow so i don't know but i think this might just be like the first stage of what they could potentially have to build their army maybe in a quicker way than what we know the first order eventually does but again just more fun, fun stuff to speculate on as far as what actually went down with these troopers here and what the future potentially holds for them um, in the upcoming episodes and just even beyond that too. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of what Thrawn's end game is here. Um, 
and and sort of his intentions for these night sisters and everything because again with him being so sort of like logical and practical it's like he he obviously is aware of the force and of jedi and everything and would know to like uh he, he would want to know how to fight against that so it's not like he's like a han solo who's like oh i don't believe in the force i don't believe in that mumbo jumbo but he also doesn't seem like the type to like buy into it either and like he would not strike me as the type to ally with night sisters um but at the same time being stranded in this other galaxy and on a planet where you have these powerful force users who could potentially be allies when you're stranded and kind of out of options he also is the type that would be resourceful and strategic enough to be like hey if they can help me achieve my goal i'm going to use them and i'm going to work with them um exactly. and then yeah like you said he he says that you know he's made this agreement with them that like hey you reach out to morgan elsbeth get her to come and rescue us and i'll bring you back with us Along with, you know, he talks about bringing this cargo up from the catacombs. And Morgan is like, oh, I've been down to the catacombs. I've seen it. Like, you know, it's going to take at least three days to bring all this cargo up. Right. Um, <laughs> which we don't know what that is. But then later we see stormtroopers bringing up these pods that are very casket shaped. Um, and kind of everybody's, it seems like, you know, the, the main running theory right now is that those are all Night Sister corpses. And that the either i mean i'm sure the night sisters have their own goals and their own reasons for wanting to bring this back to our galaxy and maybe just reclaim dathomir or settle on some new planet or something like that um again balan alludes to later that maybe they're wanting to flee something on this planet as well um but also you know, you just like I feel like we've just imagined Thrawn at this point, like coming back to our galaxy and reuniting these Imperial remnants and attacking the New Republic with, you know, an army of stormtroopers and these, you know, sort of remnant Imperial forces. I don't think any of us had Thrawn commanding an army of Night Sister zombies on our bingo card <laughs> no. for you know this show or the movie or whatever. But it's just like, um, you know, I, I think there's a on the the soundtrack album for the first half of the season that was just uh released recently there's a track called enemies multiplying and i'm like this episode was certainly uh enemies multiplying like again we like thrawn and night sisters together was not a combination that we were anticipating having to deal with so um yeah just some really really cool implications but also really you know, wild and scary implications for our heroes of what that all could mean and what Thrawn could be up to with that and uh, just the chaos that that could cause. Yeah, it's going to be great to see unfold, man. This episode just set the stage up so beautifully and just so much fun to think about. Like I said, not just these next two episodes, but just the potential for future stories that are down the pipeline that we could expect to get with this. So it's just really exciting stuff. Yeah um and then of course they bring sabine to uh meet with thrawn face to face um because the night sisters say like oh you know they they brought a prisoner um and thrawn's like oh you didn't tell me about this and they're like oh we didn't know um and so he gets introduced to balin and shin and balin says i brought the prisoner and they say that it's sabine and thrawn's like ah there's a familiar name um and they bring sabine you know face to face with thrawn and they have this kind of conversation um real quick and before you get into that I just that moment where he's talking to Balin. I liked how it just seemed like Thrawn recognized the name 
Balin Skull and knew that he was a Jedi just from following. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, "Oh, you must be, yeah, you must be Balin, must be General Balin Skull of the Jedi Order." Um, Yeah, and he just, and then when the shot goes to the Night Sisters, and again they have like that shocked and disgusted look on their face, like how kids like (laughs) we have another Jedi here type look on their face. So this is great stuff for again Thrawn just showing that, you know, he knows it's he knows everything that he needs to know pretty much regardless yeah. of the situation where knowing the imperial records that they have the jedi order and potential jedi he probably remembered all the Je- the jedi who were considered as generals and knowing that balen skull was one of them and to see him there it's just like this really cool stuff again just thrawn being thrawn being thrawn pretty much <laughs> here mm-hmm. always one step ahead and just uh lars mickelson i mean i didn't get a chance to talk about uh, his performance specifically here, but man, it was just—you didn't skip a beat. It was just great having him back. It's just to the point where it's like, yeah, you couldn't have anyone else play Thrawn in live action either, because his performance and his voice is just what really made that character great in Rebels. And it—it it would have been really hard to recapture that and pull that off with someone else in the role mm-hmm. in live action. He was just—it's just—it's his role, and he just does it so beautifully as far as bringing that intimidation but also that calmness to the character that was done so well in rebels so yeah it was just again one of those moments where a character well not necessarily first appeared in animation but in the new canon anyway appeared in animation being brought into live action was just done so well with having Lars Mikkelsen repraise his role because he 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 made Thrawn his own in that series and is continuing on here he just did a great job yeah, he nails that performance. Like you said, you would expect no less because he, he already did the performance in Rebels um, and his voice was just so great. But like, yeah, I thought like I thought he looked good. I know there's been some discussion of people, you know, maybe not loving certain aspects of either the, the makeup or just him not looking exactly like, you know, Thrawn from Rebels. And it's like, I thought the look was good enough. Yeah, and yes, exactly. you could have maybe cast another actor that maybe looked more like Thrawn, but I think he looked good enough to make it worth it again for the voice and the performance and the mm-hmm. mannerisms and just sort of the the energy. Because I mean, the Lars Mikkelsen stuff. is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Lars Mikkelsen is so good at playing those types of characters that are like the the mastermind types. I mean, you know, he was like a, a villain in the Sherlock series and stuff like that. Um, you know, yeah, he's not, I mean, he's tall, but he's not like a, a sort of menacing, imposing looking guy. Um, but he's good at, again, like portraying that, like a character that is menacing and imposing because of their intellect. And that's exactly what Thrawn is. So, um, yeah, I, I thought he looked pretty good and I thought he just absolutely nailed it in terms of the voice and the performance and stuff. So, um yeah, that was that was great. Like I said, great introduction. I mean, just heck of a, a grand entrance, um, an introductory scene. But then you know the scene with Sabine was great too, where you know he's kind of um, at least at the beginning, you know, kind of playing it a little bit diplomatic, and he's like, "Hey, you know, I I've met Balin Skull, and I know about his uh, agreement with you to let you find Ezra and, uh, you know, I'm going to honor that. Like you helped my cause by bringing these guys here to rescue me. And so now I'm going to help your cause and let you go and find your friend. And, you know, Sabine's kind of wary and she's like, what's up with this? Like, you're just going to let me go. Um, but then I love how Thrawn is so like fascinated by, 
uh, you know, he's like, you know, your singular focus to find your friend and how like that might determine the fate of your whole galaxy. Um, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll let you go find your friend. But you know that like once I leave, you're stranded here and I'm just going to go like conquer your galaxy all because of you. Right. Like um, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was a great again, not him being like super intimidating or threatening, but still like with this this air of menace behind just the way that he's you know questioning her and stuff so um and of course it was cool to just kind of see that history like you know it's not the first time these characters have met either so um yeah it was a, a fun interaction there yeah i like how he, he said like you gambled the fate of your galaxy on this belief of finding ezra bridger is <laughs> yeah again just kind of like rubbing it into her is like wow like you actually did this just to find Ezra. <laughs> so she goes, you wouldn't understand. And she goes, you're probably right or something to that effect. But yeah, just great seeing them have that conversation together. And it just makes you think as far as, I mean, you mentioned it earlier about what actually happened with him and Ezra once they got to that planet. Like, how did they get separated? Did like, when the Star Destroyer landed on that planet, did it crash and they just didn't see each other? They went their separate ways or almost like if they came, or maybe they came to like a mutual understanding like i'll go my way you leave me alone you'll go your way or you stay here i'll leave you alone type of thing and we'll try to survive and make it out of here ourselves without helping each other so it just makes you wonder what happened or if they're gonna if dave's gonna pull the rug from under us and they have like some type of agreement or some strange alliance to, to help get off this planet I don't, I don't see that happening but what if there's just more to it where thrawn knows perfectly is well aware of where Ezra is at and what he's doing type of scenario. So I don't know, but it just makes you think as far as what I, I at least I want to know what actually happened once they arrived on that planet and how they got separated. Um, because yeah, Thrawn's, he's saying he doesn't think Ezra's, he could be dead. He's not even sure if he's alive type of scenario, but yeah, just not only just great seeing two characters that we know play such a big role in Rebels, become face to face with each other again but then just kind of hearing their perspective on what's up with Ezra at this point until we find out later but again just realize we're getting closer to finding out <laughs> to where exactly Ezra is going to be and just what he's up to I didn't wasn't sure if we get it in this episode but obviously as we'll get to later we will but at this moment just kind of hearing them more share their thoughts on now that we've gotten Thrawn and we know he, where he's at on this planet just like what could possibly be up with Ezra in this planet and what he's doing. So yeah, just it's cool stuff. And just again, like you said, Thrawn kind of being how he was, as we saw him in Rebels, someone who's kind of has honor and shows respect to even his enemies when it calls for it. But as we see later on, even though he's not changing anything or he will agree to what Balin promised Sabine, but eventually once that gets fulfilled, it's not going to stop him from taking both her and Ezra out, as he says. But um, it's just still great seeing that dynamic of the character be brought here as well. And just one small little thing real quick, because we did get that one shot. We got a Thrawn in the trailer where he's walking up and uh, we just see his face. And I noticed in the trailer how it was like, that looks like a Stormtrooper helmet behind him, but I'm not sure. Like, I doubt it's a trooper. It's probably just some ancient or some like old piece of stormtrooper helmet he has as a relic or something like that but now we know it's enoch and what that mm -hmm. stormtrooper helmet actually looks like it's just funny to look back on 
that moment in the trailer now and now knowing yeah it's like oh no wonder we didn't recognize what that was when it was blurry in the background exactly yeah we definitely know why the show is not to show or put much focus on that stormtrooper helmet in the trailer <laughs> yeah um but yeah that was cool and then i mean as like i also would like to know sort of what happened between thrawn and ezra like as soon as they got to that galaxy but i don't think i don't think it's a scenario where like, like i think ezra probably escaped i don't think it's something where they have an agreement or where even you know thrawn kind of agreed to let him go um just because like you said in in the next scene so they give sabine a mount give her her armor and weapons back and you know thrawn says like you'll be given a mount provisions and uh the last like our last known intel on where ezra was so it's like clearly they've been trying to find him or at least like keep tabs on him or something um but then yeah as she rides off into the wilderness uh he's you know they're looking out from the balcony of the fortress with balin and shin and he's like all right, you can follow her at your own pace. And, you know, yes, like, we'll let her, we'll, we'll honor your agreement to let her find Ezra. And then once she finds him, uh, you guys can destroy them both. Um, and, I mean, also knowing, as we see later, that the people that Ezra is with are nomadic and move around a lot and are also very good at hiding and camouflaging themselves. Um it, I think it stands to reason that, especially with Thrawn having the limited resources that he has, I mean, he even says, like, uh, you know, later he says, tells him to send two attack squads out to hunt them down. Um, and, you know, they're like, shouldn't we send more than that? And he's like, no, that'll be enough. Like, our forces have dwindled in the time that we've been here. Um, and so maybe he's sent people after Ezra in the past, and Ezra has fought them off and survived, and that's how his forces have dwindled. Um but I I can believe uh, maybe ten years is stretching the plausibility a little bit. But you know, with Thrawn having other stuff to focus on, and you know, running his command and keeping his troops alive, and you know, having one Jedi off by himself in the wilderness who can't really do much by himself against Thrawn and his army, anyways, without his lightsaber and without backup and everything. Um, I I kind of can believe that, like. You know, they're kind of trying to keep tabs on him and, you know, again, maybe have some old data of like, oh, last time he was spotted or something like that. But at the same time, it's like finding him just hasn't been that big of a priority or something that they haven't really been able to accomplish. But he's like, oh, now that Sabine's here, I can use that because I'll use her mm. to lure him out, send these guys to follow him and, and take them out. But then he also sends his own forces after them, too. And he's like, look, if all of you die or get stranded here like makes no difference to me i'm getting out of here that's priority number one and you know it's like that's all secondary but like he doesn't really care about any of them yeah um but at the same time i'm sure there's probably also some desire for revenge there against ezra for being the one who's left him stranded there in that galaxy for 10 years to begin with so um yeah, I'm sure he would wouldn't make... mind before he goes to see Ezra dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Happy that way. Yeah, and so it would make sense that he would send Balin and Shin off to find Ezra and uh, Sabine and, you know, try to take them out. But again, maybe he's intending, maybe he's doing that just to get Balin and Shin away from them so that he can leave them behind too. Because again, we know his distrust of Jedi and he brings that up again at the end with Balin too. So, um it's kind of a way for him to draw Ezra out and be able to get rid of him finally. And also just get rid of all these Jedi force user people that he doesn't trust. 
Um, and but also, you know, with Balin and Shin, it's like, okay, they've been after Sabine before, and now you know they're willing to go hunt her down for Thrawn, but it's also a way for Balin to get out into the wilderness and you know go on his own personal quest to find this power source that he's seeking and so it's just really interesting having all these conflicting motives at play um and everybody's kind of got their own goals and stuff that they're after um and i think it's all going to come to a head in the next episode in uh, some really interesting and potentially explosive ways yeah that all makes really good sense as far as knowing where Thrawn's coming from and his motivation to, you know, trying to get rid of Ezra before he goes. I'm also sending Balin and Shin out there too, as far as not wanting really them to come back to their main galaxy with him and Morgan and the Night Sisters. So yeah, if he could kind of get rid of all the force uses or those associated with Jedi all in this one swoop right here, he'd be more than happy with that. And just hopefully it happens in three days for when they get all those um, tombs up or those, uh, caskets on the ship and then they can make their way out of there so yeah it definitely makes sense for that would be his motivation behind sending them and sabine to go find ezra yeah um so then meanwhile so sabine goes rides out she's on her mount and they warn her they said you know there's nomads roaming the wastelands and you know they'll you know they, they're fighting each other for survival and stuff like that and so the last thing enoch tells her before she rides off is die well um, yeah. and sure, sure enough, it doesn't take long before, and she's riding on this, you know, this like mount that's like, it's like a wolf with like the face of like a bat or a rat or something that like looks both hideously ugly and also kind of cute at the same time, especially later <laughs> when like, you know, the, the mount runs off scared in the fight and then it comes back to her later and she's all mad and like, oh, you abandoned me, get out of here. And the thing's, you know, still following along behind her like a, a lost puppy. And it's like, yeah, you're ugly, but you're also kind of cute. And like, you can't help but kind of love this thing. So, um, yeah, I have a worry now for these next two episodes and it's that nothing bad better happen to this mount in these next two episodes he better make it through this because i've already fallen in love with this creature <laughs> he just well it's wolf-like enough that dave filoni probably won't let anything bad happen. <laughs> it's because no one it reminded me this is like the biggest thing that gave me uh callbacks and vibes from the ewok movie from the first one the caravan of courage i i can't remember the species name but there's a creature that attacks mace and sindel and the, kind of towards the beginning of that movie they hide in a tree uh, overnight and this creature it kind of looks like that where he had like the face of a rat not so much fur where he looked like a wolf but the face really reminded me of that it was the one of the ewok movies a bit bigger too because it takes several ewoks to take this creature down but when i saw that creature it reminded me Oh, when I saw the mount, it reminded me of the creature of the Ewok movie, but it looked great here. And it's like, I mean, I'm still hoping we see Lothwolves at the end, maybe at the last episode of the series, but it was like... Yeah, if we see kinda... Ezra get to go home to Lothal, that yeah, would be great. Oh, man, that would be a beautiful sight. But like for right now, this is like the closest we're getting towards that, <laughs> to seeing these characters on these mounts. They're obviously not as cool or as big as the Lothwolves, but it was still just a great visual. Again, going back to that fantasy element, just seeing these characters ride these different creatures that we've never seen before in Star Wars. And it, it just looked great. I just loved it. And then getting to see this, the interaction Sabine had with them was a lot of fun. And again, just that humor in here just felt like classic George Lucas Star Wars type humor as that we'd gotten in the movies where, you know, Sabine kind of just points to have him go away. And then the shot just stays on that 
open space for a bit and then you just see them out kind of happily walking back towards or mm-hmm. following Sabine towards her goal. So all that stuff was great. And then just seeing him kind of once we get to those creatures, him just really wanting to eat one and really having to control <laughs> himself. But yet he's still seeing him licking his chops every time he's walking by. Just little a lot of great little touches like that just that made this episode a lot of fun as well. Yeah, definitely. And then also, I love the design, too, of the nomads that attack her out in the wasteland. You know, they've got this kind of like red armor um, that's kind of like samurai-esque, but also, you know, looks like something that somebody would kind of cobble together out in the wasteland. And they like they all look similar, but each one is sort of distinct. Um, They all look a little bit like that uh, that bounty hunter, like the Crimson Corsair that's in Force Awakens. Oh, yeah, Um, a little bit. I can see that. But also, like, reminded me of some just some of the designs from like Star Wars Visions too. Um, so, like, I I like the design of these guys, and uh, you know, Sabine has a kind of a brief skirmish with them where she you know is able to take out a few of them using first her blasters and then Ezra's lightsaber. Um, yeah, and I mean, then, I'm never going to complain about seeing some cool action with Mandalorian weapons and then finish it off with a lightsaber. So yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, but a couple of them get away and then, you know, they come back into play later. Um, but then, uh, you know, again, the mount comes back and now her tracking device is destroyed. But the or I, the, I keep calling it the mount, but I guess they're called howlers. Um, these, okay, so they do have a name. I wasn't, sure if, I wasn't sure if that has been officially revealed yet or not. But Well, that's what they call them in the episode because even Ezra says like, oh, you're riding a howler. Um, okay. And I, I think I've... That. Yeah, like I, I forget if that's the only time they're mentioned uh, by name in the episode, but I feel like I've seen it like online or whatever. So yeah, I think that's what they're called. Um, but yeah, so you know, she she takes the howler back after it abandoned her, and then uh, you know it picks up a scent, and she's like, "All right, you know, lead the way." And um, you know, it's like sniffing around these rocks, and uh, eventually, you know, finds these little creatures. I think they're called the Noti. Um, is like little two foot tall, like hermit crab turtle snail looking dudes that, you know, have shells on and can hide and camouflage themselves. Again, also gave me kind of Lord of the Rings vibes. A, because um, it reminded me of like Frodo and Sam when they like pull the cloaks over to hide themselves and they look like rocks and like yeah. with the environment. Yeah. Um, but also once, once uh, they go back to their camp, um, and especially towards the end when Ezra talks about, oh, they're going to pack up and leave, you know, they're nomadic and the way that they are just kind of this small, simple people um, that, uh, you know, they're nomadic and they they travel around and never stay in one spot for too long. But they're also very good at camouflaging and hiding themselves. It reminded me a lot of the Harflets from the Rings of Power show, because that's basically what they do. Um, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was that was cool to see. I love the design of these guys like they're cute, but also just so like weird and new. And, you know, to have the first half of this episode be, uh, you know, witches and Thrawn and ancient sources of force power and space rings made of purgle bones and just all this cool like mythology stuff. And then the second half of the episode be sabine traipsing through the wilderness with this goofy bat wolf looking thing and these little turtle hobbits like I, it was <laughs> that's like, what i'm calling them now turtle hobbits yes. <laughs> um it was you know two like 
completely opposite sides of star wars that are both like if they were able to make it mesh so well together into one episode exactly, yeah. um but again you get like the cool dark dramatic stuff and then also just the fun lighthearted, whimsical weird stuff and it was all just fantastic when it was all brought together yeah it was just a lot of fun and just getting these new creatures was another aspect of this episode that i think just makes it so great it's like what I, I i've seen it twice and i watched it for the second time when it got to this moment with the howler and then they discover these creatures i just i just get a smile on my face just going man i just love star wars like this is just the fun magical aspect of it that sometimes doesn't get shown off too often but when it does and it's done well it's just just a great aspect of star wars that as you mentioned just blends in and just meshes well with all the other cool like dark and serious stuff that we get too as well so just it was just fantastic i will say when we first saw the look of those creatures when it came out of its shell that was the first thing i thought of was like oh man it looks like uh Mibra gascon like that's what i thought species, too is it <laughs> but no once you actually look at it, it was a totally different but the way their eyes were up like that it yeah just, it's just the it eye stocks mm -hmm. and it was just cool too how Sabine was struggling to communicate with him, but the thing that she's able to realize that they know Ezra was the rebel insignia that she had on her Mandalorian armor and that how it's like Ezra made one for them, or at least for this creature as well, too. And it was just like a really cool way to make that connection and then uh, for them to trust her and for them to trust that they'll lead her to Ezra. And then again, she had to make sure she trusted the howler not to eat him as she uh, followed as they made their way and followed him into the camp. So this this is a really fun sequence. And then seeing how these creatures live their lives and just kind of how they're going about their daily activities was just cool to see some working on their houses. You see a mother taking care of uh, a baby, just kind of swinging in almost like a little hammock. So it was just fun just to experience these new species in Star Wars and just seeing how unique they are and just how well they looked in live action too. It was just the effects on these creatures were great too. It was just everything was clicking in this section. Well, really the whole episode, but when it came to establishing these new creatures, both uh, with the howlers and then uh, these creatures, it was just, they just did a fantastic job. Yeah. It was like a, a totally, you know, taking it in a different direction. It was kind of a tonal shift. It was like all the stuff at the beginning was working really well. And then this worked really well too, in its own way um because we've seen that before with you know certain clone wars or rebels episodes that have kind of tried to do this more fun whimsical like weird fantasy kind of stuff mm. then it sometimes can be kind of hit or miss depending on your preferences um i know some of us like that sunny day in the void episode and others don't um <laughs> by some of us you just mean me <laughs> yeah you and george lucas and like three other people hey, i'll take um, that company <laughs> but you've got yeah you've got george on your team so that counts um and so i was i was pleasantly surprised to see here that it wasn't just like oh okay they're trying to do something fun and cute it was like oh this is actually working well and i like how they're doing this so um yeah it just it helped uh, like I think it helped really enhance the story because you see the contrast between Ezra and Thrawn and how they've been surviving all this time. Thrawn mm. clinging to power, uh, allying with witches, like still keeping you know control of his command and his ship and his stormtroopers and everything, even though it's all barely functional and barely holding together. Um, and meanwhile, Ezra is you know living off the land and you know helping this community of <laughs> turtle hobbits. Um, <laughs> or uh i guess because they also kind of look more like hermit crabs maybe i should call them hobbit crabs 
Um, yeah, turtle hobbits. But then if we actually know that these creatures can actually hold their own in their fight, then I'm going to start calling them ninja turtle hobbits. So. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Like, <laughs> next episode, you know, Ezra and Sabine have their back against the wall fighting Balin and Shin, and then this army of night sister zombies comes, and then <laughs> the turtle hobbits just start just... <laughs> taking out all the zombies right. um, it's, it's gonna be return of the jedi all over again with the e yeah right like i'm not <laughs> expecting that to happen but it, anything could happen at this point right <laughs> um but yeah it was just they were just really you know cute and fun but again it just sort of like the the sort of two different tones um in the episode sort of served to highlight like this is what thrawn's all about and this is what ezra's all about um and then of course as you know once uh they recognize that insignia and realize that sabine is a friend of ezra's and she's looking for him they take her back to their village and that's where she finds ezra um and we see him for the first time um looking very moses like in all his <laughs> you know robed and bearded glory um but uh yeah it was just i mean it was really cool to finally get his introduction i think again iman Esfandi nailed that performance and just yeah. you know the the mannerisms and everything it just felt like even though you know you might not recognize him with the long hair and the beard and everything you're like oh yeah that feels like ezra totally um he still had the scars too <laughs> yep still had the scars the one thing that did kind of take me a while to get used to was the contacts um it's so weird when like because ezra in rebels has blue eyes but like that's just not something that I really think about with an animated character, and then seeing like a dark, uh, you know, dark skinned like Middle Eastern looking guy with like these bright blue eyes was just like I was like, wait, what's wrong with his eyes? And then you know I just realized they're blue. I'm like, wait, does Ezra have blue eyes? Like you know, it's just something that you don't really pay that much attention to. And I feel like they could have just done his natural brown eyes and it been fine. Um, but obviously that I guess that's you know a detail that Dave Filoni wanted to keep true to the animated series, so um i don't know for me like it it took a little while to get used to i don't necessarily love it like i don't hate it but i just feel like they didn't have to go that route but i'm sure we'll get more used to it um but aside from that i thought i thought the look and everything looked great so yeah i didn't even realize that like that didn't bother me at all (laughs) like that wasn't distracting or anything like i didn't even realize he was wearing contacts (laughs) maybe oh okay but i didn't realize that because you weren't the first person to mention i've seen some talk about that online uh today so what i was seeing like really huh didn't notice it when i look at the poster they revealed today they kind of stand out more there but even then like not really an issue to me but Maybe just because I just never really paid attention to Ezra's eyes in the first place in the anime, yeah. like you said. But, um, but yeah, he it was great just to get Ezra in the flesh again in live action for the first time. And just as you said, I mean, it's funny. I hope I'm saying his name right. <laughs> He's just portraying the character as you would expect him to be at this point. His dialogue and interactions with Sabine was really great. As you could just tell they had they were capturing that chemistry the two characters had in the animated series and even though just a small amount of time we got to see them together here the way they were kind of uh giving each other crap a little bit about you know they're saying like took you long enough and it's like well like (laughs) she was like jabbing him about his plans like how like they never work or something to that effect to where the plans never go as planned so to speak but it was just great and then when they're kind of poking fun at each other but then they finally just give, I'm sure, the long-awaited hug that they've been wanting to give each other for so long, mm-hmm. and just to have that reunion. And well, and I love that, like, 
the line right before that because she's um she's giving him crap about like oh you always have a plan but like it's never a good plan and he goes that's oh, well hey the plan it. he's like oh well hey the plan worked didn't it like just kind of joking like ah ha ha it worked and then he's like wait it did work right like yeah you know you realize like oh yeah he's been <laughs> stuck in this galaxy with braun for 10 years he didn't get to see the aftermath of the battle of lothal and what happened with the empire and everything and so it's like hey this thing that i like i mean he didn't sacrifice his life he's still alive but it's this thing that i essentially sacrificed myself for like it worked didn't it like and she's like yeah it worked and then you know that's when they embrace and have a big hug and ezra's theme plays and you know it's just a great moment yeah i mean i can't wait for the conversations that we hopefully get to see in the next episode just kind of both of them filling each other in of what's going on, where especially with Sabine telling Ezra what happened. Not only because I'm sure he's right now just concerned with, like I said, his plan working to free Lothal and get the Empire out of there. But, I mean, she's going to be able to tell him that the Empire fell and that the Rebellion won and everything that's happened. I mean, that's I hope we get that conversation because that's going to be really good because we know, sadly, the conversation that eventually is going to happen is not going to be a good one where she's mm -hmm. going to tell him how she got there and about Ahsoka and all that stuff so it's going to be interesting to see his reaction towards that and just how if it's going to create kind of this you know create some friction in their friendship or if it'll cause any unrepairable damage which I hope it doesn't I mean hopefully it's this case where maybe he realizes he or he appreciates that she did what she did just to find Ezra and to make sure she uh, did what she told him to. Again, going back to what he said when he first saw again, I knew I could count on you. And this is how important that was to her. And she saw it all the way through. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But just at this moment here, I mean, even Sabine doesn't even want to talk about that right now. She just goes, can't we just like enjoy this moment right here before we have to talk about all that stuff? It was just really great. But I have, I'm curious if you thought so, because I've seen a little bit of uh complaints not necessarily complaints but like the scene not hitting the mark emotionally as some would have hoped as far as them the way they reunited it was like maybe they wanted to see a little more emotion in their reunion for the first time but i actually felt it felt pretty in line with their characters like they like i said them kind of poking fun at each other a little bit um which is what you know they did a lot and then until they finally get to that moment where they're hugging and it's not necessarily like they're not crying or sobbing or or tears of joy of anything like that but you just still feel that genuine happiness that they're finally together again and they reunited and sabine completed what she was set out to do and ezra's trust and faith in her friend was rewarded right there so i felt mm -hmm. it captured it uh that reunion felt special and great to me just knowing how it felt true how that i think their characters would react knowing what we know of them and what we saw of them in rebels but um not sure if you felt or if you could kind of see some of those issues I've seen some people have with it as far as it not being um, hitting them emotionally that they wanted to. Yeah, I I thought it was fine. Like it it wasn't like a big, you know, kind of hit you in the feels emotional kind of moment for me, but I wasn't necessarily looking for it to be. Um, and I'm like, look, I, I love these characters. I love the story and everything, but like I'm maybe not, as emotionally invested in like Ezra specifically as some people mm -hmm. um and you know I mean no shade to the character or anything like I like Ezra um but some people really love that character and he's just you know he's not like one of my absolute favorite characters or anything like that um 
and there's been people, you know, it's been five five years now since the finale of Rebels, and there's some people who have constantly for those five years been like, where's Ezra? Where When are we going to find out what happened to Ezra? You know, where's Ezra? Bring Ezra back. And I've always just kind of been like, eh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. We'll find out. But there's a lot of other stories that they're trying to tell. Like, I'm not, like, I want to find out. I want to see him again, but I'm also okay with waiting. And so I'm not somebody that's like, Oh, I've been waiting five years for this reunion to see him again and everything. And so, like, I could maybe understand for some people if they were looking forward to, like, maybe a more big emotional moment and it wasn't, um, you know, just wasn't kind of staged that way. And I could see where, like, you know, for Sabine, she is kind of expecting, she's expecting to find him because, you know, she she finds these people that, you know, she thinks might know him and they've got the symbol and everything. And so she's kind of expecting him to be there. but. You could say that for Ezra, like maybe he, you would expect him to be more surprised instead of just kind of standing there leaning in the doorway and going like, oh, it took you long enough. Like if, if I was waiting for my friend to come rescue me for 10 years and then one day they just showed up with no warning, I think I probably would be a little more shocked and just, you know, like overjoyed. Um, but at the same time, I don't know, just cinematically and everything, I thought it worked um the way that it was written and everything like you said it felt very much in line with their two characters just in terms of the dialogue and the mannerisms and everything so like yeah i was fine with it um and uh you know didn't didn't really have any complaints it wasn't like my absolute favorite moment of the episode or you know the the best emotional star wars reunion of all time or anything like that but like i said i wasn't you know expecting it to be either so i thought it was good Oh, but I did want to go back to um, one thing that we kind of skipped over a little bit with, uh, you know, as Sabine is, you know, making her journey with the the Noti, um, we cut back to Balin and Shin, um, you know, yes. kind of follow, following along her trail and finding that group of bandits that she fought off. Um, and they have another conversation about, you know, this power that Balin is seeking and, uh you know, she, I think Shin talks about, you know, she's like the, the night sisters seem eager to leave this place. Like what makes you so sure that like, we'll find, I think she might, might even say like, find a home here or something, but she's kind of like, you know, are you sure it's a good idea for us to be here? Um, and he says something about like, you know, something calls to us. Can't you, can't you hear it? And like, yeah. something is out there. Like, can't you see it or something like he's, he's moving towards this, whatever this big power is that he's looking for. Um, oh, and I love the, again, sort of the juxtaposition of their characters. He, he goes, something's, something's out there. Can't you see it? And she goes, I see bandits. Yeah. And you just look up and there, you know, there's another band, uh, group of bandits that have come back and she's got her lightsaber ready to attack. Um, and Balin is like, hold on, hold on. Like the, obviously seeing that Sabine has taken out, you know, their comrades, he's like the enemy of our enemy can be our friend for now. Um, you know, stating right off the bat, like he has no long-term intention of like being friends with these guys or whatever, but like he'll use them to fit his own purposes and help, you know, fight and track down Sabine and Ezra and stuff. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, obviously next episode, we, we're going to have Sabine and Ezra together. We're going to have Balin and Shin coming after him with, you know, this group of nomads or, you know, this, this group of raiders uh, potentially working with them now too. Um and also Balin trying to get to, uh, you know, whatever this power is that he's looking for. But I really enjoyed kind of the dynamic between Balin and Shin's characters um, in this episode, too. And, uh, you know, I'm really interested to see, like, what 
their long-term goal is with Shin because like she really for as sort of like ferocious and intimidating and stuff as she seems like in her fights with Sabine and all that where she seems really you know kind of like intense and creepy and bought into this whole like villain thing through her conversations with Balin you realize she really is still kind of like young and naive and seems to not really have the same like convictions that he does like and mm -hmm. we don't know sort of what their relationship is in terms of like how she came to be his Padawan in the first place. Um, and, you know, I'm assuming maybe she comes from, you know, some bad background where like he took her in and saved her or something like that. And, you know, she kind of follows along with him because he's really all she's got. But anytime she's asking him about, you know, their plans or what he's after or something, she kind of has, seems to have like no idea what's going on. She's kind of just going along with what he thinks is best. And so I think there definitely could be room there for her to, um, you know, have a, a turn to the light side, maybe be influenced by somebody other than Balin, like Ahsoka or Sabine or something like that. Um, especially if she maybe comes to the realization that Balin's plans are going in a direction that she doesn't agree with once she realizes kind of the full scope of what he wants to do, whatever that may be, because we don't really know yet either. Mm -hmm. um, but just even when, um, you know, they're, they're having a conversation about the Jedi, and she asks him, like, do you miss it? Um, yeah. And he says, like, I miss the idea of it, but not like i don't miss the the reality of it and the failure and what they became um which i love that perspective i mean i think that's why he still has this sort of nobility about him why he still respects ahsoka as a jedi why he still has shin wear a padawan braid um because he still clings to kind of the idea of like what the jedi could be but he is like you know what the jedi became by the end of the clone wars like i want no part of that anymore um but he's talking about Ezra and he's like, oh, you know, he became part of. The oh, because Shin asks if he knew Ezra and he's yeah. like, no, that was he was after my time in the order. Like he's part of this generation of Jedi that were trained in the wild after the order fell. And Shin's like, oh, like me. And he, he almost kind of like gets defensive or like offended. He's like, no, like I, you know, he's a Jedi. I trained you to be something more than that. Um but the, I mean, the fact that she doesn't really see a difference and almost thinks of herself as a Jedi, like it's like kind of makes me wonder, like, how long have they been together? And like, how much does he really explain to her about these things? Because she kind of seems to have like no idea what's going on, um, which, again, makes me think that, you know, there could be room for her to kind of become enlightened and see a different perspective and maybe join the good guys at some point. So um yeah really interesting stuff there like i'm loving the dynamic between these two characters it was definitely one of the highlights of this episode in an episode where there were many highlights mm -hmm. um but i really want to know more about balin and shin and just their history and you know their their dynamic and their goals and all that stuff i absolutely love this scene right here between the two of them probably even more so than the first one just as you said just shin asking those questions about how balin feels about the Jedi Order. And I really like the word they brought up Ezra because he referred to him as a, a Boken Jedi. First, I thought he said broken Jedi, but no, it's like Boken, B-O-K-K-E-N. So it's like, that's a term where I guess is referred to Jedi, as he mentioned, who were not trained in the temple and just outside of it. And just how, as you mentioned, Shin thought that's exactly what she's doing. And it's kind of refreshing too, for like the relationship and dynamic as the at least some of the antagonists in this series where it's like 
you could tell like they're there's like that father daughter relationship there where he's not just a master who just views her as like a tool or a weapon where it's like don't don't bother me with questions or anything you're you're here just to like serve me and follow my orders but no he's like happy to answer her questions and kind of reveal a little bit and share more about himself when the time comes so i just really like that dynamic between them where you just really not necessarily feel like a strong connection just yet between them but know that it's coming from just a place other than just like evil villain type scenario which is refreshing to get here but that kind of takes me into a theory that i have about shin not necessarily one that's like really detailed but there's a part of me here that's thinking shin is has is going to play an important part for balin reaching his goal as far as seeking the beginning or like to get there he needs shin whether I mean, I hope it doesn't come to somewhere like someone has to be sacrificed, who is like mm -hmm. someone close to you or who's trained, but somewhere like she's required to like be part of what he needs to get to. Because as the one that made the line of dialogue that made me think that is where she's asking about or saying that, oh, Ezra was trained just like her. But no, he says, you know, she's trained her to be something greater. And maybe what he views as being someone greater is to fulfill that purpose of seeking the beginning or maybe it's something where or he says trained to be something more so maybe it's something where it's like maybe he'll need to sacrifice himself but he wants her to carry on like his ideals and what he feels is going to be needed to keep that i guess peace that he's trying to achieve here from breaking that cycle and have her be the one that's the, maybe carry out or carry it on moving forward. So I don't know, or she could actually be the key to the whole thing to accessing where he needs to go to, or uh, to achieve that power that he's trying to get. I just sense something where Shin is going to be probably a key factor in that and why he is training her as his Padawan in this case and referring to her as to be something more. So we'll see if that's how it plays out, but I'm just glad they're kind of planting these little seeds here where, you know, he's, showing the respect in her training of the Jedi, but still he wants her to be something different and in his own words to be something more than that. And whether that more means to achieve the goal of seek the beginning, seeking the beginning, uh, we shall see. But I, that made me speculate on that when he said that for her to be something more where she's probably going to play a key factor in him reaching or trying to reach his goal. Yeah, possibly. Like he's been training her this whole time, like for a specific purpose. Exactly. And yeah. it's not just, you know, to become a Jedi um but yeah like i said i mean everything about balin in this episode kind of really brought into focus that like oh everything he's been doing has been like for this specific reason again we wondered like okay why does he seem to have this like respect for the jedi but he's working with the bad guys and he's killing people and stuff and it's like it's all in service of this greater goal of whatever it is he's trying to do with reaching this power and, and the beginning and all this stuff like we talked about um he even says that I think he he mentions it separately to Ahsoka and Sabine in episode four. Um, and I think when he's talking to Sabine, he says, like, you know, we we both share a common goal, like you to help your friend and me to serve a greater good. But then when he's talking to Ahsoka, it's like when you know he's talking about Anakin and she says, like, I'm not here to discuss my past. And he's like, Well, I'm here for the future, or you know, like a, a better future for the galaxy or something like that. So um yeah, clearly, you know, whatever whatever this thing is that he is trying to do, again, we know it has something to do with, you know, stopping this cycle of destruction 
Um, but we still don't know the exact, you know, what is it exactly that he's looking for and what exactly is he trying to do? But he certainly is, you know, it's, it's core to his beliefs and his, uh, his values and his motivations that like, he absolutely believes that this is the thing to do and he's in the right and it's for the greater good. So, um, yeah, really interested to see just what that is and then what Shin's reaction to it is. And like you said, what her part in it is. And maybe if he's going to have to kind of use her or sacrifice her or something like that, or, you know, is she going to go along with it willingly? Or once she finds out what it is, is she going to turn on him and say, hey, I don't want to do this? Um, it's, you know, I don't know. There's there's a lot that could go into that. Um, it also makes me wonder, too. I mean, all this stuff that we're speculating about, it's like we've only got two episodes left. And, uh, well, hang on. But before we get to the, the speculations, of, let's just go to the last scene of the episode. because. This is, you know, again, they're they're tying in all these elements. It's a big web. Like th this next episode is just going to be a powder keg ready to light with <laughs> all this different stuff going on. Because um, then we go back to Thrawn with the the Night Sisters and the Troopers, and again, they're loading up these caskets and everything. Um, and uh, the the Great Mothers come to him and say, you know, we've detected. Uh, or, you know, they say like the threads of destiny have called to us and told us that there's a Jedi approaching. Um, and, you know, you can immediately see on Thrawn's face the what, you know, and oh, Morgan's right the there. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's right there next to Morgan. And he's like, and Morgan's uh, like oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, this couldn't possibly be the Ahsoka Tano that you told me died, could it? And she's like, uh, no, well, you know, Balin said that, that she was dead. And he's like, well, Balin was also a Jedi. And so therefore we have to uh, consider that he may be flawed and um, therefore, we're going to assume that Ahsoka is alive until we can prove otherwise. And he's like, all right, prepare for her arrival. I want to know everything. I want to know her history. I want to know her master. I want to know, <laughs> uh, you know, like everything about her training and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and also the, the night sister said that, like, you know, there were. Uh, arriving on the, you know, being carried by the travelers or something, essentially, you know, that she's riding with the Pergil. And Thrawn is like, okay, if a Pergil approaches Peridia, destroy it with prejudice. Like, he's going into full lockdown war mode. Like, I don't um, want to see that, though. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, yeah. To see him kill a Pergil. Like, yeah, I don't want to see that either. Um, and I guess the good news is, like, he probably doesn't realize there's such a huge group of them coming. So even if he takes one out, which unfortunately I feel like we might see, but yeah. there's no way they're going to take them all out. Um, and you could definitely understand his hatred of the Pergil, though. That's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, and then, you know, it, um, I think this is also maybe where he says to, um, you know, go send the squads to go track down Sabine and Shin in the wilderness and everything. And then he turns to uh, the Night Sisters, you know, he says, Great Mothers, I will once again require the aid of your dark magic. Um, and they're like, yes, Grand Admiral, the, the threads of destiny demand it. And it kind of ends there on this shot zooming in on Thrawn as... Um, you know, we kind of get some notes of his organ theme, which we got kind of like motifs of that throughout the episode, but we still haven't gotten the full on, um, you know, like the, the main sort of Thrawn melody from Rebels yet. But we've gotten mm -hmm. we keep getting like, you know, just sort of phrases of it and bits and pieces of it here and there. So um, 
I'm thinking by the end of it, Thrawn's going to probably have this big moment, either whether it's fighting these guys here on Peridia or whether it's him going back to, uh, you know, back to the main galaxy. Um, I even heard somebody speculate, like maybe that fleet is that new Republic fleet is still there over CTOS and maybe he's going to show up and like wipe those guys out in the finale. And that's mm. when, you know, we'll finally get sort of the, the reveal of like Thrawn's military might for the first time. Um, but yeah, still waiting to hear that, that sort of big main theme played. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, again, now knowing that he's, that Ahsoka's approaching, that Thrawn knows about it and is going into like lockdown mode. Um, and just thinking about everything that we're going to see going on in the next episode, because first of all, you've got the uh unfortunate sort of inevitable brewing conflict between sabine and ezra and seeing how that's going to play out once he finds out that um <laughs> that she risked you know letting thrawn escape to save him and again it'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that because it's like on the one hand he did kind of task sabine with uh finding him and rescuing him he's like you know i'm i'm trusting this to you and yet you know, you would think that he would be okay with her going to pretty much any lengths to do that. That didn't involve like killing people, but then finding out that in order to rescue him, he, she basically undid the thing, you know, the good deed that he did sacrificing himself to end up in this situation in the first place. It's like, Oh, well to get yeah. you back, I have to also risk getting Thrawn back. And it's like, you know, so how's he, I'm sure he's going to feel kind of conflicted about that, but I'm sure that's going to be, a source of tension in the next episode. On top of that, you're going to have Balin and Shin coming after them with this army of bandits with them. Um, so you're going to have, you know, probably an inevitable confrontation there. But then on top of that, you got Balin also looking for this power source and whatever he's seeking. And I'm sure that's going to be a huge deal once we get to what that is. Um, you have Ahsoka coming to join the fray and ending up in the middle of all this, which I know yeah. Thrawn is after her, but I'm sure she also is going to end up in the middle of whatever is going on with Balin and this power and stuff. Yeah, let's um, not forget about the main character of the series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then also on top of all that, you have, you know, Thrawn wanting to potentially wipe out all of these guys and, you know, sending his forces after them along with... Uh, potentially you know night sister zombies or some form of, of night sister magic that he's gonna have um yeah at his command as well as just you know these awesome looking stormtroopers and stuff so um yeah i think there's gonna be some crazy stuff going down in the next episode and i can't wait to see sort of what the fallout is and how everything kind of shakes into place going into the finale because I actually, you know, kind of suspect that I think Thrawn is going to get away and go back to the main galaxy, obviously setting up the whole heir to the Empire and everything like that's been the thing all along, like, you know, sort of setting the table for Thrawn's return. Um, but I think the end game for Ahsoka in this series might end up being, again, whatever this thing is going on with Balin, especially if it is something tied to, you know, the some big thing in the force it's like that could end up being a bigger priority for her than thrawn um and so that could kind of be how you know maybe ahsoka defeating balin and stopping him from whatever his plan is could be how the series kind of ends on 
a, a good note for the heroes with Ahsoka, you know, accomplishing her objective or, you know, succeeding and stopping some bad thing from happening. While at the same time, Thrawn also gets back to our galaxy and sets the stage for, you know, this war that we're going to see in a movie. So, um, and then whether Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra are stranded in this other galaxy for a while, or they're able to just come back on the Pergil and then, you know, help out with whatever's going on here. Like, you know, we'll, we'll see, but um, yeah, there's, I, I now suddenly feel like, man, we've got a lot to cover in these last two episodes. Um, well, I'm definitely I, glad I it's two and not just it... one more because this yeah, episode, it kind of felt like this episode could have been like the penultimate one to the season, but I'm just like excited at the beginning. I'm really glad there's two more because it's got that much more room to hopefully breathe and kind of tell these stories where it's not feeling rushed and they each have their own a lot of time and enough room to have satisfying conclusions, hopefully with these next two episodes. Yeah. I mean, let's hope so. Cause like you can fit a lot of story into two episodes, but also there's a lot of stuff they could still do with this story that could, you know, maybe go beyond just two episodes. And again, we know that they're setting up for a movie, but I also wonder like, and I, I got to give partial credit to Paul because I know he was kind of predicting like, oh, maybe they're just going to stay in this galaxy for a while. And that'll be why, you know, all this stuff isn't, you know, like why Ahsoka and Thrawn and everybody isn't around during the sequel trilogy. And I'm like, again, I definitely think Thrawn is coming back. I think the season is ending with Thrawn coming back into the main galaxy. And that's where we're setting up for the big confrontation with the New Republic and heir to the Empire and all that stuff. I would um, but. I do wonder if, especially if they're going to do a season two of Ahsoka, like what if Thrawn comes back and that's its own separate story, but then Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra are stuck in this other galaxy for a while and you could do a season two of Ahsoka that takes place in a whole different galaxy and they're dealing with, you know, maybe they're still fighting Balin and Chin or they're fighting Night Sisters or, you know, whatever and going on adventures in this whole other galaxy. Um that or whatever Balin refers to as the beginning, they go there and that's where <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like stories from them are gonna take place. Yeah, like there's still so many different possibilities of where they could go with this. Is you know, is Balin gonna live? Is he gonna die? Like again, you know, I mean it's such a shame that we lost Ray Stevenson so early. Um yeah, and yeah. that especially just you know, obviously, first and foremost, like, it's just, you know, it sucks for him and his family and, and everyone that knew and loved him. Um, and it sucks that he didn't get to see, you know, the love of the fans and the reception for the show and everything. I know he got to see it at Celebration, but um, I mean, consistently, like every episode that he's in, it seems like he's a highlight of, of every episode that people are praising. Um, but like, you know, you just have to wonder, like, the implications for the show going forward you know, part of me is like, oh, I kind of hope that, like, you know, he's the big bad guy that, like, Ahsoka's going to have the final confrontation with and she'll, like, defeat him in the end and then we don't have to worry about, like, recasting him going forward or anything like that. Um, but, man, the more we learn about his motivations, the more I'm like, man, he's a really fascinating character that I would love to see stick around for a while. Right. Um, and, heck, I was even thinking, you know, for Dave's movie, like, whether we have Luke Skywalker or Ahsoka or whatever, like sort of the, the Jedi hero in that movie is it's like, yeah, you're going to have Thrawn. Um, 
And now we know, heck, we might have Night Sisters to deal with as well. But also, like, it would still be cool to have, like, a force-wielding, you know, lightsaber-wielding villain in there as well. And, like, to see Luke Skywalker go up against Balin Skull in a movie, <laughs> like, that would be freaking awesome. Um, and so it's like, there's part of me that hopes that he he sticks around. But then you have to wonder about, okay, well, you know, who do we recast to play this actor? Because, I mean, Ray, or to play this character, because Ray Stevenson just did such a phenomenal job. Um so yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's just one more aspect to wonder, you know, where are they going with all this? But it's um yeah, yeah, like I said, th there's a lot that you can pack into two episodes, but at the same time, that also still kind of feels like a short amount of time to address all the questions that I have right now and all the <laughs> di possible different directions that this story could go. Yeah, and I highly doubt with all the questions we usually have with Dave Filoni stories, he doesn't usually answer them all anyway. So there's gonna true, be stuff that's gonna true. be lingering. Even at the, even there's if it's like a really satisfying conclusion for all the characters of where things are left, there's still going to be questions that we're just going to be dying to know. Yeah, like the finale of Rebels. Like you know, yeah, we're going to get like example. a really satisfying conclusion, and yet some big cliffhanger that we have to wait five years to find out. Like, <laughs> which sadly would probably be the time for the movie to come out <laughs> as we're speaking of it. Oh right gosh, now. I hope it's not five years. I know they were talking about it, you know, maybe being like 2026. I'm sure that's probably not going to happen now with the strike <laughs> and everything and just stuff getting pushed back. But um, yeah, you know, if we get it in like 2027 or 28 or something, I mean, that's, well, actually, I guess that is five years from now, huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Crazy uh, to believe. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, just going back real bit quick to the moment where Thrawn is saying like he wants to know everything on Ahsoka, like her master, and I can't wait to see where he realizes Anakin Skywalker is her master, or, or was her, her master, and just knowing he did have history with both Anakin and Darth Vader in uh, mm -hmm. the second novel that came out a couple of years ago, as part of, I guess, the new Thrawn trilogy in the canon, but um, it just makes me think, too, it's like, oh, is he going to pull up some old video records and database in his star destroyer where we're going to see kind of anakin and ahsoka again in a hologram kind of similar to what kind of like that video ahsoka or the hologram ahsoka was watching in rebels where he was making that instruction training video maybe not necessarily that but just some like archival footage of anakin and ahsoka uh back during the clone wars days so maybe we haven't seen the last of anakin and young, young ahsoka yet in this series but that would be really cool and just hear him talk about anakin and um, because I don't believe um, that he knows Anakin is Vader. I don't remember that happening in that book, unless I'm mistaken, as I know it's been a while well, since I read so it. So I honestly, I never finished that book, but I did see somebody on Twitter saying that he does know that. Okay. Book. Um, okay. But I mean, even if it already hasn't, even if it hasn't already been confirmed in canon, that's just the kind of thing that I wouldn't put it past Thrawn to figure out. You know, like yeah. with him having been in such close proximity to palpatine and to vader and knowing what he knows about the jedi and the clone wars and stuff like if anybody could put two and two together and figure out you know kind of like knowing how palpatine was kind of grooming anakin and always had him at his side and anakin was this super powerful jedi and then the jedi all get wiped out but there's this one who becomes a sith lord and is at palpatine's side all the time and him you know like and his connection with Luke Skywalker, although I guess Thrawn wouldn't know about that because he disappeared before Luke was, you know, really prominent in the rebellion. But, um, yeah, I think I think he either already knows or could figure it out. And that's going to be a really cool moment to see and just hear him reference that. And I think you could be right, too, about even seeing maybe like training footage because... 
there's a couple of lines that we hear uh, Hayden Christensen say in, the yeah. TV, in that TV <laughs> spot that we right. haven't heard yet, where he says um, he's talking to clearly sounds like he's talking to Ahsoka and he says like in this war you will face more than just droids and then you know at the end he says like you can I, like I know you can do this Ahsoka um and I will say after episode five I just kind of assumed that okay maybe they filmed like a flashback scene where it was just the two of them training together and then just ended up not using that and that's why they just you know put that dialogue in the TV spot I was like okay I'm not expecting to see any more flashback Anakin Ahsoka scenes you know going forward but yeah, how cool would it be if maybe even the next episode kicks off with like Thrawn in his office, like watching that scene play mm. out via hologram and we hear that dialogue from Anakin and then maybe him putting the pieces together and realizing that that's Darth Vader and that, you know, Anakin's apprentice is the Jedi that's coming after him and just, oh man, yeah, it's going to be some good stuff. <laughs> right. And too, just even, it'd be great to see like the growth that Ahsoka had in her experience in the world decree world where Thrawn tries to kind of use that against her almost like Balin did where like your master mm. became Darth Vader but then we'll see how Ahsoka overcame that because of the final lesson that Anakin taught her in Shadow Warrior and just seeing her growth as a character and just even as a Jedi here we're knowing that that she's not ashamed or it's not, not going to hold her back anymore of her legacy and what in Anakin's path that he took so just more potential for some great stuff um, with Anakin and Ahsoka here, where maybe we not not see them together again like we did in, in the world between worlds, but still kind of continuing on that story thread of their legacy as master and apprentice and how Ahsoka is carrying on that legacy as far as being more than just the legacy of death that Anakin told her that she was, just as he is more than that. So yeah, just more cool stuff potentially on the horizon with that stuff with Anakin that we got in episode five. So hopefully yep. that, that is something that uh, takes place in uh, the next week's episode. Yeah. I mean, I think regardless, like even if we don't see that scene or that footage or whatever, like it's definitely going to get referenced. Mm -hmm. It's definitely going to get brought up, especially if we see Ahsoka and Thrawn come face to face. But I think even, you know, we could just get a scene early in the episode where he's, studying her and going over all that information that he he wanted um and yeah just i i'm interested to see just sort of the the mix of intrigue and maybe even a little bit of like fear or concern if he realizes mm -hmm. like oh there aren't many jedi left in the galaxy but there's one that's coming after me and uh it's the apprentice of the guy who turned out to be darth vader and i know <laughs> yeah. i knew what he was like so um yeah, you know, Thrawn doesn't scare easily, but uh, I'm I'm interested to see what his reaction to that will be. Yeah, that that'll be awesome. If that's what his reaction is. That little seeing that little inclination of fear that he probably doesn't show very often to anyone, but once he sees that Anakin is her master, it just has a little bit of that fear slide through. That that's going to be pretty cool to see. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, in an awesome episode filled with all kinds of. Night Sister Magic and Thrawn and Ezra and all this awesome stuff. We start and end the episode talking about Anakin. Um, <laughs> just because of how Perfect awesome that last episode was. Yes. But um, yeah, man, I mean, so much good stuff in this one. And so much like, I mean, again, the last one, you know, had the great action with the lightsaber duels and obviously the nostalgia and the, the Clone Wars flashbacks and stuff. But like 
and had some, you know, like really impactful, like character moments and the just beautiful big wow moments with the pergola and stuff. But I feel like this one really hit hard with just like the story, the amount of just like mythology and lore and world building, but also like character backstory and motivations and, and just, you know, the movement of the pieces on the board setting up for what's Mm -hmm. suddenly, you know, like after the last episode, it's like, okay, we have no idea where this is going. Um, Except that we're going off into another galaxy to find Ezra and Thrawn. And now with two episodes left, we have a much better idea of where this is headed. What, you know, sort of just the positioning of all these different pieces on the chessboard. And it was just really fascinating to watch and uh, has me really excited going into just these last two episodes of the season. But this, you know, through six episodes so far, this has just been some phenomenal Star Wars. Yeah, some of the best we've gotten. I think when it's all said and done, this is going to go down as it's one of the all-time Star Wars, great Star Wars stories. And I mean, there's two episodes left to go to say for sure, but I have all the confidence in the world that Dave Filoni is going to stick to landing on this one. As as Obi-Wan says, or, or even Commander Cody says to Obi-Wan, when have I ever let you down? That's Dave Filoni <laughs> completing his stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's never happened. Yeah, definitely. Um. So, yeah, exciting times for sure. Hopefully uh, we can all be back uh, for these last couple of episodes. We can get Paul's take on these two, but it's definitely going to be fun to see what happens, see where it goes and uh, get to talk to you guys about it. Um, But I know you uh, put out the question for the listeners, too, to see what people thought of this last episode. So uh, what do we get for responses on that? Yeah, so first up from Star Wars Junkie, he goes, I liked it, but honestly overwhelmed at this point. Maybe because I'm older, but I need time to absorb all this new content. I'm still blown away by Rogue One. (laughs) That being said, I love the Nice Sisters and would have loved to see Asajj in live action. Maybe a flashback. And then Berksma says, the more I watch, the more I am saddened by Rey's passing. What a performance. Live action Thrawn was perfect. The music, voice cadence, and masterful intelligence, just wow. Rebels are in trouble. I've got a bad feeling about this. Looking forward to our podcast. Well, thank you, Perska. Hope you enjoyed this one. And then Rich Brockwell just says, in Filoni, we trust. This is great. Yeah. (laughs) I echo those words wholeheartedly. So, yeah. Thank you guys for chiming in. I also want to give a special shout out to... Uh, some listeners who reached out to me on Twitter and DMs just checking in after I wasn't able to make it on the last episode. I know Paul mentioned there was a family emergency that came up and had a few of the listeners check in to see how I was doing. So um, that was very much appreciated and it meant a lot. So thank you uh, for those who did that. You know who you are and it was much appreciated. So uh, we just uh, love interacting with you guys as listeners. And when you kind of interact with us and tell us you enjoyed the podcast or just kind of check to see how we're doing. It just, it means the world to us. So thanks again for doing that. It meant a lot. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are the best. Um, and thank you to just, I mean, the last, especially the last episode, I feel like the last few episodes of the show, but especially that Anakin episode and um, yeah, the, the podcast episode that Paul and I did for that. I feel like we got a lot of interaction and a lot of Twitter comments and people, uh, you know, just being really excited to hear our takes on it. And I mean, I give most of the credit for that to Dave Filoni for directing a phenomenal episode that people <laughs> wanted to talk about and wanted to listen to podcasts about and stuff. But um, even just you guys letting us know that just, you know, you enjoy listening to our show and hearing our takes on it and, you know, just kind of sharing excite- the excitement for the show with us really means a lot. And um, 
I mean, heck, we would do this anyways because we're just three friends talking Star Wars and, you know, we just would probably do this anyways, even if nobody was listening. But um, the fact that you guys, you know, enjoy it and, and get something out of it and find it meaningful, you know, means a lot to us. So thank you, as always, for your continued support, for listening, for interacting with us and everything. Um, if you want to follow us, follow along and, uh, you know, interact with us online, you can follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, we're also on Facebook. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. Uh, you can check out our website at uh, Star Wars TSC.com. Um, and also, of course, we always appreciate it if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon or wherever you're listening. So, um, yeah, thank you again for, for listening, for all the support. Um, but that's going to do it for now. We will see you guys next time for episode seven. Uh, second to last episode of the season it's flying by i can't believe we're almost done with ahsoka already but it's been an absolute blast uh so thank you guys for listening we will see you next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody